my fellow Westorians. <laughs> Welcome to Valar Reread Us for Dunkin' Egg. It's an epilogue to our full series review. We had originally not planned on having another Valar Reread Us episode, but two factors led us to this fun decision of having one more episode. And, well, let's see what today brings us, eh, my fellow Westorians? This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Fear! Safety checklist is complete! Disgust! Ew! Ew! Ugh. Sadness is in the house! Oh, no. Hello, I'm Anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. One of the things it brings us is one of the reasons we decided to do one more episode, which is our guest, Stefan Sasa, who was last minute unable to make it. Head colds make podcasting very much unfeasible and unpleasant, so we had to move that around. So I'm glad we were able to move it only a couple of weeks instead of you know having to cancel it or something. Welcome, Stefan. Glad to have you here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Right on. I was just on your show. We were having a great discussion on the golden age of the next few months of 2021 of all these great shows and even a few books and other things coming out. And well, that's kind of timely because we talked about that. And in between then, we've had a House of the Dragon trailer. And while we're not going to talk about that here, it's interesting as a additional piece of info because we are going to talk about the potential for Dunkin' Egg on HBO, which it is in development. It isn't guaranteed to hit the screen, but it is in development. And well, it's kind of neat that Duncan Egg falls almost exactly halfway between A Song of Ice and Fire and The Dance of the Dragons in terms of chronology. The year 212 is, well, The Dance of the Dragons is 82 years, uh, ends about, begins about 81 years before that, 83 years before that, and A Song of Ice and Fire starts about 86 years after that. So really close together. And of course, uh, Stefan, tell us about your other work here. I know you've been doing Boiled Leather Audio Hour for a long time. It's one of the longest running podcasts in the community. And you also do the Nerdstream Era blog, which is excellent. So tell us about those for a minute. Thank you for the high praise. <laughs> uh, it, it is true. I'm always claiming uh, for lack of better knowledge and also a lack of deep research into the subject, I think we are more or less the second longest running podcast that is still active uh, today after the podcast of Ice and Fire. I think that's right. We have our 10th year anniversary. Uh, this year. It comes up in December where we will do a fun birthday episode on which you are also featured. Yeah. If you remember, I think we recorded that snippet back in April or something, but, yeah. <laughs> but still, wow, it, will, it will come out in December. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and that is the Boy Leather Audio Hour. Uh, I've been doing it uh, with Sean T. Collins, but we also have a slew of uh, guest hosts that come over more or less regularly among them. You, as you just uh, mentioned. So thanks again for doing yeah. this. And then I have my blog for all things nerd, uh, which is the nerdstremira.blogspot.com, where you can read essays uh, about TV series, Game of Thrones stuff, more TV series, mm -hmm. movies, 
I'm currently reviewing all movies with Channing Tatum in them, and please don't ask me why I do that. <laughs> no justification needed. <laughs> I'm also doing a series on all movies with Kevin Costner and uh-huh. one with all movies with Jennifer Lawrence, and it is we. It's a weird trip. Well, are you, <laughs> if you want to join me, would you ever do Kevin Bacon? Because that's the guy that everyone talks about. It connects to everyone. <laughs> Six degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, not yet. Not, not yet. yet. Yeah. Um, but so far, I'm most positively surprised by Channing Tatum. I want him cast somewhere. <laughs> that is fantastic. What a creative idea. <laughs> Sean, I know that's got to be an interesting idea for you. You're being such a movie buff hearing that. Like, that's not a, I wonder, have you ever considered a categorization style like that? Sort of. Uh, there's so many different ways to categorize things. True. And <laughs> it's a combination of like, in addition to like, you know, an actor or a genre, there's also like what you like or what your audience will like. It's a lot to think about. And uh, But immediately when you said those, especially Kevin Costner, so many movies sort of flooding through my head. It's like, that's going to be quite an endeavor to go through them all. <laughs> it's got long movies, too. Some of like really lengthy films. Uh, yeah. like Post- God, yes. Waterworld. Like, and- I would do like Daniel Day-Lewis. Just like Ooh. five really good movies. Yeah. And then, you know. <laughs> Those are also long ones. <laughs> yeah, but that's boring. I mean, everyone knows that. Good. Uh, uh, with, with actors like Kevin Costner, you uh, you stumble over movies where you're thinking, what the fist is? I've never heard of this. Like, I, I, watched, I watched a Disney movie that's basically made for small kids, McFarland, USA. It's from 2015 where Never he plays a football coach. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and and it's really, it's, it was produced for the Disney Channel. <laughs> that guy's doing all sorts of stuff. It was surprisingly wow. good, by the way. Oh, you watch um, it with your kids? No, no. I, I didn't know it was a kid's movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. So the next day you're like telling your kids about this kid's movie you watch. You're like, what? Why are you watching movies without us? <laughs> well... One thing that's uh, also hard to categorize is your beverages, Sean. What are you drinking today? Today, this is the protein berry naked drink. Not too unusual for me. With the black raspberry sparkling ice. Also not too unusual for me. (laughs) But instead of Mountain Dew, once again, Dr. Pepper. That's what my new... A new experiment has been. What the? And it's, once again, it's really good. Do you endeavor to make them weirder just knowing that you're going to have to say what they are at all? I hold back. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say, having lived with you, uh, no, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't make them weirder for the podcast. <laughs> uh, so yeah, check out Stefan's podcast, Boiled Leather Audio Hour, also nerdstreamera.blogspot.com. And of course, goodqueenalley with one L.tumblr.com. Nina's help is invaluable to our Valerie Reedus episodes. A recent post on her blog involves a topic we are discussing today, possible ways for the she-wolves of Winterfell to play out, including who the candidates are and how well it compares to some of the succession issues that might happen at Winterfell in A Song of Ice and Fire proper. Because as we know, it's a long-standing rule that George loves the whole concept of history repeating itself, and his setting is particularly well-suited for that. Because while we do have things like political shifts and, you know, dragons going extinct, pretty major events that change the world a bit, uh, we don't have, like, inventions and technology coming along and just changing things massively. So Westeros, as far as these things go, is somewhat static, which enables the George to use it as a sandbox to write scenarios. For example, we look at the situation with the Dance of the Dragons itself and wonder how that will 
parallel what's going to happen with John and Danny and young Griff? Most of real human history has been pretty static too. Yeah. We have a really skewed perspective from the past couple hundred years. 10,000-ish years, very little happened, you know, technologically wise, as far as like the repeating of histories, wars and rulers and et cetera, et cetera. It's just neat to think about how how suddenly things can change so much. You know, I don't know. I doubt Georgia would ever go in that direction. But, uh, the introduction but it's not of the steam weird. engine. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we're going to yeah. have the steam engine. Dragon <laughs> It's not that weird for him to have this world that's static because the real world was pretty static for thousands of years. Yeah. I mean, People also thought about time as being circular, basically. The, this idea of it being like this line that goes up into some... Um, uh, direction of progress and change that is pretty new. Uh, people used to think uh, of time as a circle, uh, basically, mm. for for a long time. Yeah, it was like a more common philosophy. And yeah, and George himself has said this because people have asked him, uh, similar to what you said, Sean. Like they've asked him, what, how has it been so static for so long? He's like, well, really, if you look at our own history, and he said something along the lines of what you said, like the Industrial Revolution. Before that, change was was rare or rarer. And I, I saw once at another, I think it was Dan Carlin, the, the king of history podcasting, who said that, like, consider the fastest way to get from place to place. I think I may have even mentioned this anecdote once before, but it's so good that it's worth repeating. Think of the, way, the fastest way to get from place to place on land 10,000 years ago was a horse. You know, 5,000 years ago, it was a horse. 1,000 years ago, it was a horse. You know, 200 years yeah. ago, it was a horse. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's only recently that it wasn't a horse. Yep, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, we are in we are living in interesting times. Things change so quickly. So join the discussion. We have different topics coming up, of course, as we are moving away from Valoritas temporarily. We will be talking about a variety of scripted topics the next few months before getting back to Valoritas in January with the World of Ice and Fire. You can join us on Facebook or Discord or Twitter or other places. <laughs> we have plenty of places to hang out. And also want to give some thanks to those of you who support us on Patreon. You can join up through patreon.com slash history of Westeros. There's a variety of support levels that come with benefits like bonus episodes. We've got several bonus episodes that you can only get through Patreon or through sending a donation. And Stefan, since we did not have a chance in the review to ask us, I know that you're a big fan of Duncan Egg and it would be a shame to not hear you tell us why you like it so much. So if you want to just take the floor for a minute and, and maybe things you didn't get to say that you're planning on saying in the episode that we had to reschedule, go ahead. Yeah, as you, as you already said, I really love uh, the Duncan Egg novellas, uh, much, much more uh, than the historical novellas like um, the uh, Princess and the Queen and stuff. <clears throat> and there are several reasons for that. Uh, on the one hand, they're simply more interesting characters. Uh, they are uh, really, really good characters. But uh, I also think that the topics and themes that are developed in these stories are incredibly well uh, contained within these uh, within this short space mm. of pages that he has in the novella. I mean, uh, we have a lot of themes uh, in the main series as well, uh, but they are developed over hundreds and hundreds of pages. Mm. And when I see uh, what he gets to cram into a story like The Sworn Sword, I am just on my knees in admiration uh, you know, uh, on, on what's going on there. And it's just so much. And on top uh, of a good and entertaining and exciting story, 
which is what brings me back to these stories time and time again. I, I don't remember if I even reread all of the uh, other history novellas because, once again, I'm, I'm not into them very much, uh, I have to admit. Uh, but Dunkin' Egg, I've read like five, six, seven times yeah. at least. <laughs> nice. Uh, I also have the, uh, the graphic novels, uh, which I also like quite a bit, uh, unlike, unless the, uh, unlike uh, the graphic novel of the main series, which just sucks. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but those are good as well. Uh, the audiobook is great, and hopefully we will get a great HBO show about them as well, maybe. Hope so, hope so, fingers crossed. <laughs> but that is just the most uh, rough overview of uh, of what I really like about them. My favorite one is The Sworn Sword. Yeah. I think I'm in, yeah... I think many, for many people, it's the sworn sword. I think, yeah, uh, from from what I gather, but uh, the others are also uh, are also great. Well, what is it about the sworn sword that stands out the most for you? Is it the just the the way it uh, portrays the characters, or just the particular themes that are present there, or the way they deal with uh, dealing with the drought and all that, or just uh, what is it? I think the uh, the most standout thing for me is the whole part about the aftermath of the uh, Battle of the Red Grass Field. Mm, yeah. Uh, because it is portrayed in such a, it's a bad word, but realistic manner. Uh, you know, uh, I'm feeling very, very touched by it. It feels very real mm. how uh, Sir Eustace is reacting to it and many, many of the other peoples and how, um, how, the, how it has an impact uh, on these people that is uh, going on for years and years. And then, I mean, the, uh, the obvious reference point for it is Lost Cause myth, uh, mythos and um, feder- uh, Confederates against Unionists and all of that stuff. But as a German, uh, for me, it also has, it also strikes very close to, uh, to my heart. Uh, because, uh, as you might know, we lost World War One, mm. uh, and uh, after World, we also lost World War Two, but uh, <laughs> we started, started twice, lost twice, uh, didn't try again, luckily. Yeah. <laughs> um, and after World War One, uh, you had this uh, stab in the back uh, legend uh, mm. of people, uh, you know, going around saying, "Oh, we didn't really lose; it was just this betrayal and like magic and arrows from a ridge, and oh. you know uh, that nice. that uh, that whole aspect and how it." festered uh, in the hearts and created this ever-returning thirst for revenge, for a second try, you know, the next time we'll do it right, which is basically why we stopped World War II. Wow. You know, because the faction that things we could, uh, we could just try over uh, and uh, and do it in the right way next time. And that feels very true. Uh, And it it gets me every time. That is a. We went to Vietnam and then we went to Afghanistan. We still don't get it right. That's a fascinating (laughs) perspective. Yeah, I never. It makes a ton of sense once you when you hear it. But you know, from our perspective, me and Sean and Shay as Americans, it wouldn't necessarily cross our minds in the first place. That is that's really interesting. Yeah, you're right. We did think of the American Civil War for sure, and of course, of course, we would. And uh, but yeah, that's a very different uh, example. Well, I wanted to follow up sure. on that thought also, by the way, that there was a quote. I, I, I don't have it ready to go, but I mentioned it in an earlier episode where Dunk, I think it was Dunk remembering Arlen saying something to the effects of lords and knights wage their wars, but the common folk and the cows go about their business. And on one hand, there's some truth to that. But on the other hand, that's it's not that simple either. Yeah. There are these repercussions across society in the wake of war. You know, True that, true that. But yeah, another another topic that we had talked about that I wanted to get your perspective on, a thought that I had that I stewed on for a long time mm-hmm. that I'm still stewing on, is 
there's a one, one big difference between the main series and the Dunkin' Egg books is that we're only getting the one perspective, right? And so uh, not only does it keep the story from sprawling so much, uh, which he could get there with, you know, 10 more <laughs> books or something, but also yeah, because we only get one perspective, we know more about this one character and their thoughts, but we know less about other characters and their thoughts. If Martin was to have another POV, what might you want? And I want to like, I want to deny you the easy answers. You can't say egg. You can't say blood raven. So no. <laughs> it's a little bit difficult because uh, there is no other recurring character uh, that helps us. So we would need to choose one per novella. Uh, I think the obvious answer for uh, for the Hedge Knight uh, would be um, Fossaway, uh, Raymond Fossaway, uh, because uh, he uh, he is a witness to most of the events. Uh, he gives us a different perspective because he is uh, he's the lord's lord lordy person, yeah. <laughs> a lord adjacent uh, person, <laughs> lord adjacent. And, I like that. <laughs> yes, so, so I think he would uh, be a nice contrast, still in the same team. Uh, I wouldn't want to read Arian's perspective. <laughs> Baylor's perspective would be it would be boring, uh, I guess. And that doesn't leave too much. Tencel maybe, but she isn't there for most of the events. So it makes no sense. The only one that really would make sense uh, is Raymond Foster. I think that's really interesting. I hadn't considered him. My answer for the first one was maybe the idea. I kind of wanted to see Makar's perspective on this this strange young man that he's about to send Egg off with. Mm, yeah. um, but I, I I like Foss away more in terms of significance for the story. Yeah. Another, if I could throw another one out that it hadn't occurred to me before, but Steely Pate might be an interesting one. Who oh. would also have been a witness to a lot of events and would, maybe would have a little more unique perspective. And think of like the, the memories he might have would might be interesting lore for the world. That's true. Um, and I also, think- I know uh, this is just a made up scenario, but it's possible that a character that we pick here might appear in another book or could have a single chapter, like a, a prologue or something. So maybe you could pick like, Amon, or you could pick Tansel because maybe we'll get here later on or something. Yeah, I wonder about that, whether there'll ever be one like the, the, the Last Kingdom series is entirely from Uhtred's point of view, but there's one chapter that isn't. One chapter. <laughs> what point of view is it? It's from his son's point of view. So uh, I, I know the so show, but I haven't read So it's book. technically Uhtred's point of view still because his son is named Uhtred. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think when we talk about the Hedge Knight, most, uh, Martin has written the novellas in a way that we don't really need. Uh, either viewpoint. Because if I think, uh, what perspective does Steely Pate offer that we don't have already? I mean, that guy is wearing his heart on his sleeve, basically. (laughs) I mean, the same is true for Raymond Fossaway, basically. I know what this guy feels because he tells us. Uh, We also know who Maycar is. Uh, uh, I think Martin was very clever in how he plotted them out uh, that we don't need. Uh, other perspectives. All the other other characters are uh, written in a kind of an obvious manner, which they must be because Dunk is too dumb to understand them, but we as readers need to understand them for this uh, whole ruse to work, uh, basically. Yeah. I uh, generally so, agree, but, I, but I'm kind of gaming the system here because I want to know more about the history. Like these characters that might have uh, been in some past war or served some former lord, we could tie together other pieces. Yeah, Castile so. Pate's much older I, I, than Dunk, so I think that's part of what you were thinking is that he'd yeah. been around longer. But I do yeah. agree, it was, he did perfectly select the POV Fossil and the, way, yeah, that's, the pieces of, that he gave us, yeah. That's really good. That's a really good choice, yeah. Well, what about the other two, Do you, <laughs> if you want to break it up by book? Oh, yeah. What would the other two be? I think in The Sworn Sword, we could... Um, 
I, I'm tempted to say brown bennis. Oh yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Why not? But why it, not? it would it would just be very unpleasant. <laughs> not as bad as Aaron, yeah, like, but unpleasant. Yeah, It'd be like the great I'm uncertain. <laughs> I'm uncertain if if he adds something as a perspective. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, it is yeah. it is this typical problem that many fantasy novels have that try to imitate what Game of Thrones did. You know, with the uh, dark anti-hero who is just basically an unpleasant person uh, who is violent and an asshole. And after one or two chapters, I know you are an asshole and repeating your assholery doesn't give anything new. Um, So That was was interesting about Eustace, by the way. It took some piecing together to realize that he wasn't a hero, that he wasn't someone that Dunk should be looking up to. I I appreciate that it was a little subtle and took a while to... I don't even know if after the first read, I still thought of him as being more protagonistic, but now I think of him as being much more antagonistic. Mm, that's interesting. Um, George has made him very gray, huh? So you've, you've gone back and yeah. forth on it. <laughs> but another oh, what, one. What, what could be really interesting is Lucas Longinch. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, you, you know, give us a perspective uh, on the Weber Castle uh, and the intrigue there without uh, giving us uh, any, revealing any plot information we shouldn't have. Uh, and give us basically what they did in Game of Thrones season six or five, where where Ramsay was basically getting his, um, where, where we were in Ramsay's point of view, I want to become a Bolton, you know, the same thing for <laughs> Lucas Longin. Uh, seeing how he frames himself as the hero of the piece mm. uh, might be interesting. Yeah. You know, I'm uh, I'm preserving order, uh, and uh, and mm. I have to get this uh, this girl who doesn't know what she's doing into hand, and then it comes this troublemaker, and I need to stop him, you know. And, and then in the end, he just loses. <laughs> I do like that because you do see like one thing I like is seeing how bad people like what we judge as bad people justify their actions because sometimes they do justify. Sometimes it's not just like oh I'm going to do whatever I want. Because like Stefan said, if that's what it was, that wouldn't be that interesting. <laughs> you know, here yeah. as someone who's just like acting on their impulses all the time, like you don't need to be in their head for that. But if they are like wrestling with themselves being like, no, this is okay. Because like what Stefan said, like I'm preserving order or I'm actually protecting like this. I'm doing violence to stave off greater violence. Uh, that can be pretty interesting. You can, you can, get angry at a POV like that or occasionally find or, uh, uh, the occasional nugget that they're actually right about or something like that. That's something Martin seems to understand too is that people, even bad people, aren't just pure evil. They don't kick every puppy they see. Yeah. You know, they, <laughs> they still have some sort of defining moment or drive or characteristic that to, might take them down an evil path, but at least in their own mind, they see some justification for it. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty rare to have like Aryan or the mountain or Joffrey. Yeah. Those when are... you have enough I mean, characters, and even the mountain, which Martin he, does. he does give some, That's some true. depth to Even that Joffrey, in yeah. That, in that he's haunted. I mean, he has all of those killer... Uh, Headaches, migraines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's going yeah. to affect you. I mean... Abusive not, childhood. Yeah, and... You know, not to the extent that maybe uh, Gregor... Yeah. <laughs> I think most people with really bad headaches aren't murderers, but it's still, it is something. Yeah. yeah. He, he, <laughs> even for Gregor, he, he included that. And he, like you said, for Ramsey and Joffrey. Absolutely. A yeah. lot of people have also said, and I think the same thing, is Septon Septon for the Oh, Lord. yeah. Oh, yeah. He had a lot of insight. Yeah, a lot of gossip. Yeah. yeah. He would know things, yeah. but he wouldn't, like Stefan said, you don't want someone who's too deep in the plot. Like his information is like 
world information. Like he was in King's Landing. That was, that's part yeah, of what would make yeah, him interesting. Exactly. Yeah, okay. He could give us fill in the rest of the world, you know, status, if you will. Yeah, because like someone like Blood Raven, the problem with him is he just knows too much. He, he violates that George R. R. Martin rule of a character that knows too many things. <laughs> you can't give him a POV yeah. like Littlefinger or, or Melisandre no. or whatever. Yeah, just not going to happen. Well, Melisandre, we did get but it. But here's the knows <laughs> too, uh, too, uh, too few things. Yeah. Uh, on the other <laughs> yeah. hand, because hey, there's once again the problem. What does he offer that we don't already know? Because like the history uh, there stuff is this, uh, There's yeah. this expositionary dialogue uh, that he has uh, at the table with Dunk. And aside from that information, I don't know what, what he offers, you know, as a perspective. Uh, because the guy is, he's a jolly guy who, who likes to drink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, and that's the problem. And when we go into the mystery night, we have we have kind of the same uh, the same issue because look at Fireball. We know everything we need to know about Fireball. Yeah, the whole drama is already there. We know everything we need to know about Gorman Pike. Uh, he's um, he's basically completely explored. Um, we do, uh, and you can't have anyone I mean. who figures it out because it's one of the key bits of that story is Dunk doesn't realize what's happening. And we have everything we need for for this plot, for yeah. this story. But we don't have everything we need for our curiosity about Martin's world. Yeah. That's what I'm angling. Oh, and of <laughs> course, the, a fourth, fifth, sixth story could have a setup that re, that would be lent oh, by, yeah. like you said, like an epilogue, like one, like a moment from someone else's point and of view. And of course... You know who, uh, who might be interesting in uh, in a mystery night is Waldo Frey. Uh, ah, the little four-year-old. That's actually yeah. really Six nice. Six-year-old, yeah, that um, would be yeah. amazing. But what I was going to point out <laughs> is that four. not yeah. all POVs... I mean, you get to choose when you put them into action. Yeah. You, you can give us a POV towards the very end once Dunk has figured this out, for example. That's true. That's um, true. Like you could end POV with... POV that I think would be very um, frustrating and interesting is Alan Cockshaw. Oh, God. <laughs> his, uh, yeah, yeah. his jealousy. He's just overwhelmed by jealousy. Yeah. Just when we're talking about, you know, unpleasant POVs, I think his counts. It might be like John being in John Connington's head. Yeah, a little bit like that. Probably <laughs> just uh, not, not so much. At least, his, his... at least his is not unrequited. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, well, you have someone required. You have that sort of in common. Rhaegar's gone, but, you know, <laughs> it's kind of, you would have, it's kind of uh, out of out of sync. So let us move into <laughs> pre- uh, the future of Dunkin' Egg. The possibilities are kind of wide open. We're not going to sit here and discuss the future of George R. R. Martin because that's a bit ghoulish and who knows? We, we can't, no, we have no not. idea. There's no place for that. That's not appropriate. But the, he's immortal. He's a, yeah, he's immortal. <laughs> but what uh, the we sort of have an out here, which is that because HBO is considering it, we can imagine that there's a lot of different ways that this could hit the world, um, either through HBO or far in the future, graphic novels, more books, who knows? So we won't worry too much about how. We'll just know that it's possible. And we'll start off with a quote from George R. R. Martin about, first of all, about the novels, and then we'll move on to him talking about show potential. So, Sean? It has always been my intent to write a whole series of novellas novellas about Duncan Egg, chronicling their entire lives. At various times, in various interviews, I may have mentioned seven novellas, or 10, or 12, but none of that is set in stone. There will be as many novellas as it takes to tell their tale, start to finish. But only the three mentioned have been published to date. I did originally plan on including a fourth in Dangerous Women, the cross-genre anthology Gardner and I put out last year. The book was past due and the story was not finished, so I substituted an abridged version of The Princess and the Queen instead. 
The unfinished novella was indeed set in Winterfell and involved a group of formidable Stark wives, widows, mothers, and grandmothers that I dubbed the She-Wolves. But the She-Wolves of Winterfell was never meant to be more than a working title. The final title when I finish the story will be something different. There's also another Duncan Egg novella that I've got roughed out in my head with the working title, The Village Hero. That one takes place in the Riverlands. There's no telling when I'll have time to finish either of these or which one I'll write first. Don't expect I will know more until I've delivered the winds of winter. Yeah, that's basically the only thing he's been adamant about is that he's not sure when he's going to write them, but it won't be till after winds of winter at the at the very least. He might. He has since then clarified that he will. Good chance he's going to write one of them or both of them before a dream of spring. If I remember, yeah, correctly. a little palate cleanser. You know? Yeah. <laughs> And it might help him work out some ideas. As we have, as we alluded to with the She-Wolves, when I was referring to Nina's blog post, it's writing the She-Wolves would allow him to potentially help work out some of the issues he plans on having happen at Winterfell when Santa, Arya, Bran, and or Rickon, John, whoever, all converge on Winterfell. A little like we saw in the show, but pretty different. Um, but they probably got the idea for all that from George, which is why we expect to see it in the books. So that's pretty cool hearing George's old thoughts on that. Do you guys have any reaction to that um, that quote in particular? I think it's from 2011-ish or 2010. I forget exactly, but it's it's a good while back. He's not in the habit of doing this anymore. Yeah, no, so. you're right. He does, he just, just doesn't bother making statements like this anymore. <laughs> wisely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, it's unfortunate for us, but uh, it's yeah. uh, wise for the fans. Wisely and here. disappointingly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well said. Well, well point, Sean. But yeah, just to give thoughts, I, I think uh, it, it makes sense. Uh, I mean, uh, from my point of view, what I'm seeing, if I look at the first three novellas, uh, is tackling a different genre and a different idea in each and every one of yeah. them. So uh, doing one in which Dunk has to finally enter the political arena and sort out inheritance issues makes a lot of sense. Uh, doing something uh, like the village hero uh, in which he really is a hero, maybe, uh, I don't know, uh, would uh, would be a kind of change. Uh, there's no telling what the genre exactly would be for the village hero. Uh, but my feeling is that we are going uh, into different ones uh, with each uh, each of these novellas and uh, different themes. So for example, with The Sworn Sword, we had the Western uh, genre and this whole uh, thing about the past and uh, working through these issues. In The Mystery Night, you have this whole uh, complex about identity uh, and so I'm I'm excited to see what happens in the She Wolves. He will uh, bang old man. I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My question: I feel like out of all the genres, one that he'll hit is romance, which we get a little bit maybe of it in the Mystery Night, but that's really mm. a mystery. That's truly that's the genre. But in terms of a romance novel or a romantic comedy type thing. I have to wonder about what will happen between Egg and Beth Blackwood and when um, things will happen there. Obviously, they're going to meet, you would imagine, in the village hero. In terms of genres, that's one of the ones I think of first. Maybe it's a coming-of-age romantic. It's like can't hardly wait for... (laughs) But yeah, then there's also, of course, I mean, if we're just thinking of genres, like what would be horror? Mm, Yeah, how could they do a horror one? That would be interesting. How could they do horror? You guys are hitting on all my notes coming up right now. (laughs) Oh, yes. Almost every thought I've had is is spilling out right now. (laughs) That's awesome. I'm I'm trying to... Because we read your notes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Sean, what do you think? I, I had a thought just on the quote, you know, the thought we were on before, before I get too deep into the, the genre thing, okay. which will probably keep popping up anyway. Yeah. But uh, but we've already talked about the idea that it seemed like, especially the books that he was writing closer together, 
had a lot of like connecting dots, right? Yeah. A lot of the same sort of themes and storylines. It seemed like what he's fleshing out for one is coming out in the other. Yes. And so, especially Clash of Kings to Hedge Knight, like the first one, because it was written yeah. like at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I can imagine if, and not only can I imagine, I'm kind of confident that Martin is fleshing out this entire world, that he's not just writing Arya's chapter, right? He's fleshing out the entire history and path of scores and scores of characters over generations. And that allows him to make parallels through history and, you know, uh, relate prior events to what might happen or debts that are owed or on, on, and on. Yeah. And I, I, I expect that he's working on different pieces of Winds and Dream and She-Wolves and on and on all at the same time. And here and there, he might try to focus in, you know, commit extra time to one or meet some deadline. But you know he's got to be working on all this as one big garden, right? Yeah. And so I, I, I kind of expect to get a lot of clues from one of these novellas about what's going to happen in the main series when it come out. I, expect yeah. and hope. I know? think you're totally right. I mean, when Fire and Blood came out, we saw lots of things that looked like pre-groundwork uh, or sandboxing similar ideas that we're seeing here. Uh, lots of examples of that. Um, as we went through it. And we'll be looking for them again when we do Valeritas for Fire and Blood eventually. Let's look at this next statement. George talked about uh, the opportunity to put Duncan Egg on television, first of all, back in 2014. So this is an old quote, and then we'll fast forward to what it looks like now. So it's neat to see what he thought then versus what it looks like now. There's been interest, yes, but the right situation is complicated. Film and television rights to the characters and the three published Duncan Egg stories remain with me at the present. But HBO, when acquiring the rights to the Song of Ice and Fire novels, also acquired film and television rights to the world of Westeros. So if we did Duncan Egg with, some, with anyone else, we would need to remove all the references to House Targaryen, Iron Throne, etc. Not completely impossible, but certainly undesirable. Whereas if HBO decided they wanted to make a Duncan Egg miniseries or TV movies, they'd first need to buy the stories. That's a much more attractive proposition for all concerned, I think. But if it happens, it will happen years from now. Not tomorrow, not next week. Well, it has been years from then. That was, as I said, <laughs> yeah. 2014. And Duncan Egg... So it must be about to happen. Yeah, right? <laughs> Duncan Egg <laughs> was first announced to be in early development in January of this year. So it hasn't been a long time. But uh, on the downside... It hasn't, there hasn't really been any more news on it, which isn't a great re thing. It's not necessarily bad news, but other projects that are World of Ice and Fire related, Game of Thrones related, have moved forward. So that's also potentially not bad news because maybe those just happened first. Yeah, there are other projects that already have, you know, writer showrunner attached to it, whereas Duncan Egg doesn't even have that yet. So it's definitely out of all the projects named, I think it's the farthest behind, according to what yeah. they've announced. So, Sigh. yeah. <laughs> so with that, um, it's interesting. There's not, maybe not a lot. Obviously, if you either, any of y'all want to comment on that, feel free. But um, I mostly just wanted to throw that out there because I thought it was interesting. And from here, what I want to do for most of the rest of the episode is discuss what we know about the timeline, what we know major events are going to be, any tidbits we have from George, the titles of future stories, and just sort of imagine, very sandboxy, play with these ideas figure out, you know, decide what we want, talk about other genre options. Like I mentioned romance. We mentioned horror. And just, just play with all that. And so... All right. Can, can I 
tie in what I my thoughts from a second ago. Absolutely. To, to preface this, where we're going. Yeah, okay. So, well, one, I wanted to start with a, a quote, a Martin quote. Sure. Another Martin quote. Uh, he said, one of the joys of the Expanse series is the way Jimmy Corey dances or dances between subgenres. The series certainly is the series is certainly science fiction, no doubt of that, but assigning it to any particular subgenre is more difficult. Some parts read like space opera, some parts strike me as hard sci-fi. The first book of Leviathan Wakes had some pretty strong horror elements with its vomit zombies and a real noirish mystery feel in the Miller chapters. With Babylon's Ashes, however, the war comes to center stage, and we are definitely in the realm of military sci-fi. Real quick, I just so, want to say that's one of the things I love about The Expanse is how it captures so many different feels. I mean, Sworn Sword is a Western. Sibylla Burn has also got that, that feel to it. So yes, go on. And also, I, I want yeah. to say that I love that he calls him Jimmy Corey. Yeah, Jimmy Corey. He calls them. <laughs> it's, it's two people. Them, yeah. So Jimmy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> James S.A. Corey is uh, not a real person, but can still be given a real person's nickname, like Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, the, this one, I guess, the, this quote for me means uh, uh, brings out a couple things. One, it's something that Martin's paying attention to and appreciates, right? Mm-hmm. And two, that he, not just the idea of genres, but like mixing genres and, and the, the nuances of subgenres. And thinking about what genres there are, I've thought about this a lot. At this point, I, I really, I, I, there's a part of me that wants to kind of be a truest and say there's only like five genres and everything else is a subgenre of that. But as more and more things get made and more and more people are looking and defining or, or wanting to understand what you're going into better, it makes more sense to have more subgenres. Like there's such a difference if you say drama between like a courtroom mob movie versus a teenage coming of age. There <laughs> might be both dramas, but drama doesn't say enough. You what know, if it's so. a anyway. coming of age young mobster movie? <laughs> a young mobster. Well, coming that, <laughs> I mean, the newer, whatever, the Sopranos movie yeah. just came. Now, I mean, that's not you're, like a crazy thing to make you're up. Right, when yeah, you start mixing fits. genres, you get like hundreds. Yeah, it's crazy. Some of so, them are harder to uh, fit together. Like having a sea monster coming of age is maybe, uh, <laughs> I don't know if we can relate to that. But, <laughs> but if anyone could do it, it's Martin. Yeah. If he gets some young ironborn as the, the Kraken attacks the ship. I don't know. <laughs> uh, anyway, so anyway, I was just thinking about how it's, it's, it's a, I think, a particularly good topic for us to ponder because it seems like Martin is pondering it, it planning on it mm-hmm. even, right? And so I kind of went through the process of like researching genres and trying to define which ones were distinct enough or whatever, and then which ones were more likely to apply to his world where, let me think, I have a, a little list here. Uh, ones I think are likely for him to at least toy with, if not completely center around, to at least tie in or mix together. Horror and, and a, a connected adjacent, horror adjacent is monster movies, which, you know, maybe like Aliens or Predator or something like that. But he might do that with, I mean, maybe he's kind of done doing that with the mountain already. But mm. I wonder if he might have some more supernatural elements, some more a horror kind of thing, a sea monster he might have in a, a sea adventure. There may be some kind yeah, of... Yeah, they can fight the great joys, yeah. Yeah. And sea adventures really can make good stories too because you're so secluded from the rest oh, of the world. Oh, yeah. And you can't really leave either, mm. right? Dunk, the dunk, implication. If he was on the a implication. Ship, right, Sean? <laughs> <laughs> yes, plus the implication, yeah. <laughs> but they say, Dunk, say Eustace had been a captain of a ship. And Dunk realized, I don't want to follow this guy anymore. Oh, yeah. We can't just go to Roe. You know, he's still stuck <laughs> in that just ship, leave. You know, so. Yeah. Uh, Good point. Anyway, Good point. there might be some sort of spy adventure, some mm. sort of situation 
where, I don't know, they've got to figure out what the, that might even be connected to mystery, which we've seen already happening. Serial killer, Dunk at some point might be trying to Ooh. track someone down. You know, some of these maybe ways we get to the different proposed titles, but maybe he's a village hero because he kills a serial killer. But uh, these are good uh, ideas, yeah. Gangster, if he ends up in sure. King's Landing, for example, some organized crime, a heist might be uh, even heist was almost part of uh, mystery, the mystery yeah. night you know there's true the egg you know <laughs> that's true uh, well, uh, yeah there could be a disaster is a pretty distinct movie and maybe that could be summer hall or maybe something at sea oh yeah summer romance hall. of course coming of age those are easy ones to see how they get tied in wow. i wonder if maybe even showbiz ha! is if ha! he ever finds tensel we got bravos or, going know, on for that but yeah why yeah. not some sort of spin on that yeah a spin off of that hey, yeah, yeah. they're, they're going to go to bravos to yeah. to join some bravosi plays like arya does <laughs> so i'm hoping to just plant these thoughts as we go through the future ones and think how those these might be tied in um, yeah stefan how would you respond and, to these ideas like any of these stand out to you or anything missing what what do you think I mean, there there are a lot, uh, yeah, right. a lot of ideas. I I don't really see a show business episode, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. That would be Dunkin' Egg Dancers. Come on, no. <laughs> yeah, given, given Dunk's character and skill set, it could only be a comedy, basically. Yeah, that would and, be a comedy. And I don't know if we if we want that. I see a war episode uh, in in some way or the other, disputed lands, most likely. Oh yeah, uh, something like something like that. Th- that would make uh, would make a lot of sense. Romance, definitely, I'm totally down for that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think actually these are my favorite two, uh, more or less. Like a, a real, yeah, the war story in the romance because we had war in the series proper. We have from the highest level, basically, when we go to the uh, to the lords like Catelyn or Tyrion, uh, giving us an overview, or even John, and we have uh, Arya as uh, basically collateral damage. But uh, Duncan Egg could give us, uh, you know, the the soldiers' point of view uh, and war from the ground up. That's uh, basically, idea. I think that is still missing, uh, more or less, in the in the whole thing. And Martin has uh, written oftentimes uh, about the depiction of war. Uh, you know, uh, that he wants to capture both sides, uh, the ugliness of it and the beauty of it. And we have characters talking about it. We have those elements, uh, but we have not yet seen it from a practitioner's side. Uh, basically, mm. because the most likely uh, candidate here, Jamie Lannister, he's not uh, a point of view character when he still is in the thick of it, and after he is not capable anymore. Mm. So that uh, there is, is a great potential. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe later, no. Um, uh, yeah, but no. <laughs> and then uh, romance. I think we also do not really have a romance because uh, Sansa is coming closest to that in a Game of Thrones, and that gets horribly aborted yeah. <laughs> and, and i think and, and i think playing that straight uh, basically uh, with egg as the most likely protagonist of it maybe even a double date of sorts uh, mm. in which both of them uh, are uh, are finding uh, someone to uh, someone to love uh, for some reason uh, that that might be might be really interesting and i see that being comedic also though by the way <laughs> yeah I, 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 I see romantic comedy there as well like both of them, neither yes, of them have totally. any idea how to talk to a girl. And they're both like giving yes. each other terrible advice or whatever. To be fair, <laughs> even when you have an idea of how to talk to a girl, you still don't do it very well. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you're just like, what was I going to say? I, was, I thought I was so prepared. Uh, yeah. I, they, I, they, I, are, they are basically on the same level. You know, <laughs> Dunk and Egg. I mean, they are age-wise. They're like, what, eight years apart? Seven, far, something yeah. like that. Yeah, they're not as... But, but when we come to... 
to emotional maturity. Once again, I want to point out most most thirteen year old boys and most twenty year old boys are not that different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like level of experience isn't that hasn't gained uh, much. Yeah, I'm a little dubious. It makes so much sense for there to be romance, but I, I just when you think about it, and maybe I'm I'm not remembering right or categorizing it right, but how much romance is Martin written? I think he kind of steers I, clear of that. I mean, if you think of like John and E. Grit, I think counts as, as romance. Okay. He writes yeah. doom Going love forward, a lot. If something happens with John and Danny, that could be romance. Maybe Danny and Drogo is, Danny and Drogo is a type of a romance. That's a very specific yeah. type of romance novel where, where they, you know, tame the savage type of man who's the yeah. bad boy. Like, <laughs> there is an element of that, but there isn't a yeah. lot of I, I shouldn't love. say there's no romance, but it's it's peppered mildly, right? Yeah. Like, and of course, I mean, I think all of these Dunkin' Eggs, um, like, specifically, this, all three of them have had a romance. They've all had a central romance sure. yeah. with Dunk. Yeah. Specifically, yeah. Dunk has had a romantic interest in all three. Yeah, even if they haven't, yeah. none of them have like, been consummated, but... You know. Yeah, or if you but didn't None of them would you call romance novels. No. Right? No. Like, no. I do expect there to be romance, but I think it is fair to call uh, The Sworn Sword a Western. I yeah. think it's reasonable to attach that to it. But uh, maybe romance, too. And I guess it probably wouldn't be fair to call it a Western novel. That probably wouldn't no, just, really be fair. It just has either, a lot of those but. vibes, like it's a strong theme or a strong connection. But yeah, yeah it definitely doesn't tell the whole story. Um, we're going to see examples to fit these in going forward as we move through some of the possible titles. Like, yeah, as, as we've alluded to, Dunk is big, attractive man. There's not going to be a shortage of opportunities for him. Nina um, points out, and something we've talked about before, is the idea that if Dunk um, gets together with Dela, yeah, that that would um, be a tragic romance right oh, there yeah, that would be. be consummated. So yeah. it would, it would um, go further. And it could, of course, also be paired with Egg and Betha mm-hmm. in the double date scenario. And the old Nan thing wouldn't necessarily be wouldn't necessarily be tragic. I mean, it might be tragic that they don't get to stay together, but like neither of them die any time sure. close to that event. You know, they die much later. So we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Something I wanted to add uh, while we're at the topic of romance, I I would also totally dig, uh, you know, instead of a romantic comedy, uh, him really going full in on a melodrama. I'm I'm seeing a Dunkin' Egg version of Titanic, basically. Uh, You know, especially that you mention uh, Della and uh, this aspect of the love that cannot be, uh, etc. You know, Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet vibes uh, all over. Uh, And then uh, really going all in with big emotions, you know, like... Like, like you need to do that full saccharine full into all the cliches uh, but <laughs> with Where that little go? twist I will find you <laughs> yes yes you know love you forever but, but with, yeah. the, with, the, with the twist that, that he does uh, you know keeping it anchored and uh, and real somehow but also at the same time giving it young love always has this bigger than 
bigger than wife. You know, yeah, it is always the, the most important love. I will never find someone else again. <laughs> and without you, I can't live and, and all of that. And uh, given the nature of how naive Dunk is and how prone to, uh, to such feelings, oh, and then you have a very young egg, like let's say he's 15 at the time or 14, uh, I, can, I can really say, uh, see that working well. I agree with you. The more you the more you lay that out, the more it comes into picture and, and fits really well, given what we already know about these characters and who they are and their ages and their... It looks level of experience. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. And uh, and when HBO picks this up, I want Whitney Houston for the theme song. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we were just talking about My Kevin Costner too. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Reese suggests to piggyback on pre, uh, prior discussions and his suggestion, the cell sword could be the spy genre potentially if they go spy on the Blackfires, like if Dunk were to join. The Golden Company, for Yeah, I think example. that's interesting because obviously we think of it as being very much about war um, yeah. at first glance, but that it can be war and spy, that the, these can have elements of multiple genres within it. Yeah. And I, I mean, kind of implicitly, I think our guess is that there would be a bit of spying and secrecy in the sellsword. They can't, egg can't be clearly egg. Yeah, right. And and mm -hmm. one interesting part about that is maybe if they're going overseas for this, Egg's disguise is a lot less necessary. There's a lot more silver-haired people over there. Or as we had talked about before, the idea that instead of shaving his head, Egg will dye his hair, yeah. making us think of young Griff. Yeah, it'll even make that even tighter. So I like that thought. Any responses to that from you guys? No, yeah, I, I like the idea. And I think there's potential for some sort of spy thriller genre tie-in. But it is also for these two characters to, to fit that. And so, you know, maybe there is some other perspective that we see or they're in some totally new land where they wouldn't be recognized. Yeah, but, that's why um, that would make some sense. I see this only happening by chance, basically, okay. because there's no way that any of them would ever think it's a good idea to go spying on Blood Raven. <laughs> I mean, Dunk, Dunk is like, what, two meters tall? And, <laughs> and Egg is Egg. Those two aren't conspicuous, yeah. especially if we... Uh, post mystery night, where uh, <laughs> well, a lot of other, people yeah. now know that they are roaming the land. Uh, this is just something that would be utterly stupid. Uh, so uh, what what I could see is basically Dunk hiring as a sellsword and, you know, having this, now we are going on a ship and we are going to the Vale to fight mm. on this on the sister islands or what. And then uh, it is, surprise, we are in a disputed land with you. Over. <laughs> uh, and and, and then they, they basically need to get out. Something like that, maybe. Yeah, maybe they could be yeah, driven off course by a storm or something like that. That's always also possible. interesting. But, but it has to be by chance. Yeah. Not, yeah. not on purpose. Stepstone. Maybe they can be in the Stepstones or because uh, Tar or Tarth. Oh, that would be Tarth. Beautiful. Like maybe that's how they go to Tarth. Because yeah. we know they gotta go to Tarth. <laughs> There's a sh Dunk Shield appears the in the armory. So yeah, I want to see the Stepstones too. That's uh, I'm fascinated by what's there. I mean, we hear about all the wars that are there, but we don't really know what is there. Like what people there's like some ancient Roinar people living there. There's like pirates living there, but yeah, it's pretty vague. Nina makes another suggestion for the neck making a potential horror story location. Spooky, isolated. Um, I mean, we saw Moat Kalen from Theon's perspective and it was, yeah, it was spooky, isolated and there were snakes and uh, she suggested there could be a big alligator or something like that. That'd be a monster. And um, yeah, mm -hmm. lizard would be lizard lion. Same difference. Yeah, that's cool. I like that idea. Yeah, maybe even interact with the Kranigman maybe somehow. Like, 
I wonder. Hmm. I definitely haven't thought about that one. The neck. There's definitely potential there. I'm imagining like a never-ending story swamp <laughs> that they're trudging through different creatures they might encounter or people they might encounter. Yeah. Dunk learns to ride alligators one foot on each, like he's <laughs> like like water skis. <laughs> uh, Nina says it's also worth keeping in mind the impact of the eventual Fire and Blood Volume Two, assuming it still happens, because George now has the option to catalog and describe the events of the reigns. Of Ares the First, Maycar, and Egg in a formal history. In other words, nailed down a lot more of these events that, that will happen during the lives of Duncan Egg. I mean, we have a lot of these events already. I've gotten them written down for the, for us to peruse throughout the rest of the episode here. But of course, if he writes Fire and Blood 2, it's going to be a lot more detailed. It'll be a lot more events. For example, Maycar's reign, despite it being him being one of the more well-known kings, his reign, we know like a, a few important things that happened at the beginning, a lot about the end. And then just a few major events in the middle, but not much else. And there's a lot of reason to think a lot happens during that time. So a lot of empty space for George to still fill in. We have the third Blackfire Rebellion. That's going to happen in 219. So that's seven years after the Mystery Night. And Egg is going to be cited for excellence. Excellence, yes. And, uh... <laughs> yes, <yeah>, sorry. <laughs> Yandel cites the actions of Arian Brightflame and notes that the, quote, pretender Hagon the first Blackfire died in the aftermath of battle, slain treacherously after he had given up his sword. It's a popular theory and certainly one I agree with that Yandel is hinting that Arian himself murdered Hagon after he surrendered, which would make Arian even more of a villain. And that would be something we could potentially see from Dunk's perspective. If that happens, it would be a really important thing to see. Now, let's, okay, so let's pause to talk about that for a minute. I think Third Blackfire Rebellion is one of the most straightforward events that we're, you can pretty much book it. If it ever happens at all, we're, Dunk and Egg are going to be a part of it. Would you guys agree with that? Is it, or am I maybe exaggerating? Is it maybe something that they can just show in the past? Like maybe we come in right at the end and be like, okay, the war has already happened. Here we go. Let's deal with the end. Maybe it's just aftermath. Or do you think we're going to like, want to go into it i think it is uh, seeing it as a given that it will happen uh, as a story if he ever gets that far uh, i think yes uh, the event has been left out so purposefully out of everything else we know so little about it uh yeah he, he definitely wants to keep his options open uh, on yeah. that one how it exactly will play out i i'm not confident enough in my knowledge uh to to make any guesses right on i have to admit okay sean what do you think Kind of torn. I, I can easily imagine him skipping past it. He skipped past all the adventures in Dorne. You know that could have easily been a book. That's true. And uh, a lot of times he doesn't show us or give us details of battles. You know, we get reports of it after the fact. And uh, so I, I don't know. I, I can I can see, maybe even I can see him being deployed somewhere else, if you will. He's on he's on Essos or something when it happens, and just doesn't have the opportunity. Which gives Martin the ability to keep mystery around it or not have to commit to details. Well, we know Egg was part of it. It's kind of hard for Dunk to have not been there if Egg was there, but, okay. but you're right. It, it might have been like maybe they only came in near the end. Like maybe they yeah. did something really important at the end, but uh, weren't there for a lot of it. It's still possible what you're saying, just with a tweak. With a tweak. But yeah, one idea I had, let me throw this out there for you all to consider, is the cell, considering the idea of the cell sword as one of the stories. The problem with this idea is the sellsword, this would move it up in the timeline, presumably. Fast forward to after the battle, and you have this, this spot. One of the most compelling incidents of the Third, Bla Third Blackfire Rebellion happens afterwards, immediately afterwards, which is when Bittersteel is captured. We hear that he's fought Bloodraven again in a duel, and presumably Bloodraven wins, or maybe not, because 
in the first one, there wasn't really a winner. You could say Better Steel won because he took Blood Raven's eye out. But what happened really was he took his eye out. They were still fighting, and then the battle kind of swept them away from each other. So it wasn't really complete. However, with Better Steel surrendering, what we know happens is he surrenders. There is an argument, especially from Arian, that he should be executed. For whatever reason, Ares, perhaps kinslaying or perhaps uh, wanting to let the rebels know that they won't all be executed if they surrender, he sends blood. He sends bitter steel to the wall, and in an in an event worthy of MacGyver or all the greatest escape artists, his friends show up and capture the ship that he's been sent to the wall on and liberate him from the captivity and sail back off to the disputed lands where he resumes leading the Golden Company. Now, we wouldn't see that happen on page because there's no way Duncan Egg would like be on the ship with him for that. But all this decision, all this debate about what to do with him and how to treat this captive, who's also a member of their family, strikes me as something that sets would be a really useful lesson there's a lot of one of the what's a recurring theme within the Duncan Egg ser- series is is setting up Dunk as or setting up Egg as a king and setting up Dunk as a king's guard and how they're going to face much larger decisions like the dispute between the water rights is an example of that or if they go to the to the north and and involve themselves in a succession crisis like these are the kind of things that Egg would have to deal with as a king but on a larger scale with more authority so whether or not to execute a rebel that strikes me as a really important case that could set the stage for how he rules. Um, so that was a bit of a lengthy explanation, but I'd love to hear what you guys think about that idea, even if it's not that particular idea, just that concept. Um, Sean, we'll start with you this time. Yeah, it's something that's already come up a couple of times, I think, this idea of uh, Blood Raven was so sure he wanted to execute uh, uh, Daemon, right? We, you know, we've talked about the idea of like, you know, if, if, if you're too ruthless towards your enemies, then they're less likely to surrender. and. Uh, on and on. You could see all the sort of factors going into this that Egg might have to consider. I think it's absolutely true uh, that what we see uh, here is the training uh, of a future king, mm-hmm. uh, basically, in, in all these uh, in all these scenarios, you know, uh, from the knowledge, like the water ride stuff, uh, down to the question of character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we also obviously need to set up, <clears throat> uh, for example, for his reforms uh, that he will do later. So yes, maybe uh, the handling of traitors uh, is uh, something uh, that uh, that will come up. I, I'm not quite certain if uh, a story about Bloodraven basically and uh, and his being sent to the wall is uh, is in the cards for that, and if it is uh, if it is interesting enough. I'm also not sure if Egg. Uh, yeah, it, it is really hard uh, to plot this out uh, in that detail. Something to compare it, it to. Possible. Something to compare it to, by the way, is that we have this idea here of bitter steel being sent to the wall, and then we're going to have seven t- or fourteen years later, Egg is going to send Bloodraven to the wall after he executes after his treachery with Aenys Blackfire. So it it is. There's two possibilities for this, and one and the second event could potentially look back on the first as like, well, this is what we did back then, and that was a mistake, or that was smart, or yeah. So it's kind of interesting, a little history repeating itself potential there. Not only is this like, uh, does it weave together all sorts of plots and potential plots, or you know, set up these dilemmas and these characters and these decisions for Egg, but it's also interesting uh, moral discussion too. You know, like the yeah. what's appropriate punishments, you know, retribution, precedent setting, et cetera, et cetera. So. Right on. 
I, I hope that this is an element of the stories. Hey, now, here's a general question I have for you guys. It's maybe too hard to predict, but would you guess that George is going to focus more on their early lives or on their later lives or maybe just kind of a balance between both? Because it, it feels like there's a lot of events here in the, in the reign of Ares and then plenty more later, but I'm not sure. Do we... I'm never. I'm not sure that it's an answerable question, but I want to throw it out there anyway. I'm torn. I, I want to say he's going to focus more on the interesting parts of their life, <laughs> if that makes Which sense. Which may not always be and, the interesting events, but a lot of times it will be. Yeah. Right, and I think that more often is the earlier parts of your life. I think the older you get, the more likely you are to get into routines of life. Does that make sense? Oh. Where when you're younger, you're more likely to be traveling new places and trying new things and having crazy events happen. You're more likely to go off to war when you're 22 than when you're 52, you know. Now, a king's guard and a king are maybe are more likely to have more interesting things happen later in their lives maybe. because they'll be their their routine will involve deciding what country to go to war against or you know like well, they won't be able to travel as much. So that's one thing to keep in mind like True. that's yeah. one of the reasons I thought about it is egg will be a lot less capable of going wherever he wants when when he you has know, his responsibilities. Let me tie this back into the other idea of genre is I didn't even mention this one before, but courtroom drama oh. is a pretty established one. And you could sort of get that. There was a little piece of that even in the, the Hedge Knight when the council's kind of meeting to decide what to do about Dunk and his crime and his challenge to the, of, uh, you know, trial by combat. Well, I went trial by seven. That's sort of like a courtroom drama. And it's one of the more interesting parts when you get these lords together trying to make a decision. That conversation they have is very interesting and revealing. And you might get a lot of that when we have these captured rebels. You might have these meetings of adjudicators trying to decide how to proceed, what to do, what the law is, what precedent they should establish, and so on. True. All right. Yeah, good point. And what about you, Stefan? What do you think about this one? My gut feeling is that we are having uh, the the biggest part of these stories in the early part mm-hmm. of their lives. But but it's really just a gut feeling because I, I definitely see what you're saying, Sean. Uh, there is a lot of potential uh, in, in the latest stuff. It's just, I guess, based more on uh, it being complementary to the story proper. Like uh, A Song of Ice and Fire has kids' characters. Uh, like we have Bran, we have Arya, we have Sansa. Uh, and John, uh, obviously, um, and we have a lot of adult uh, actors like uh, Tyrion, who is uh, in his late twenties, and, and then we have Catelyn and Eddard in their mid thirties. Basically, this, the spot between is still open, uh, so th- this allows uh, Martin once again to explore something that he cannot explore, like like with my war story. Basically, it's mm-hmm. it's a complementary thing uh, to the main series. But that doesn't need to be the driving animus. It's just uh, this uh, this gut feeling that I have that he does not want to be redundant. Yeah. And uh, we have a lot of co- uh, of decision drama, of politics, uh, etc. in the main series. And so I'm always coming at it from the angle of what can Duncan Egg offer that is not done by any POV in the main series. And we have a lot of POVs in the main series. <laughs> uh, so... That's my line of thinking. If it's correct, no clue. Honestly, one of the things I think of first when you talk about, um, you're talking about ages and and the difference in children and adults and all that, is we've been talking about coming of age tales. And yeah, technically in A Song of Ice and Fire, characters come of age, but I'm saying that in quotes because they're not normal circumstances that they're coming of age. Whereas Egg here, you know, this is conceivably about, you know, as, as, 
normal, as, as good as a, as a coming-of-age story could be, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, let, let me just th- throw another random thing out there, because um, the five-year gap, the infamous one. Yeah. N- Martin never managed to get it working, uh, and Jeff has laid it out in another cast episode uh, very well why and why it was a bad idea. Uh, but Duncan Egg basically gives him the chance to to write exactly that. Uh, you know, one, um, one of the plans uh, that Martin had, according to Jeff at one point, was to actually write out uh, the five-year gap in A Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons, just basically uh, with a more compressed time, uh, you know, like writing five years in this one slash two books. And this is something that he could return to with Duncan Egg because here it actually could work. Yeah, uh, sure, you, know? you have far fewer um, and and that is, It covers many POVs. It's a little easier, yeah. Great point, yeah. Yeah, and he, 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 he could do exactly that, you know, um, because the children uh, in the Game of Thrones, they are basically too young. Uh, I mean, uh, Martin has uh, commented on that himself. Yeah. Uh, Danny is like, what, 13? Uh, John is 14 or 15. Rob is the same age. Sansa is 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we have all, I think, cringed on Arya's kiss with Raph the Sweetling and Mercy. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, and so what he can do with Duncan Egg is to get a little bit more age appropriate. Yeah. Just stretch out uh, the the whole process of the learning of all of that stuff over a more believable time period than he can do in a song of ice and fire. Uh, because here he can just do like four months later or yeah. uh, or one and a half years later. <laughs> uh, and, and it all works yeah. out. Yeah, in fact, he's already done. Yeah, he already did one and a half years later between the first two. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's, that's probably what you meant, yeah. I just want to follow up on something Stefan said about him not wanting to be redundant. Like, some of the scenarios that characters might go through might be similar, but you don't want to put similar characters through similar scenarios. Yeah. Does that make sense? So yes. if you have, like, some sort of political challenge for Jon Snow and some sort of political challenge for Ramsay Snow, right? Then that's, those are going to play out differently or bring out different aspects. Dunk is very similar to John, and uh, you know he is a little bit more forthright, naive, or whatever. So you don't want him going through those same dilemmas. That 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 is a new angle for me to start thinking. That's about a really things. good point. Yeah. So if Dunk was older, he would approach them differently, um, or will approach them differently, assuming. Uh, so coming, speaking of coming of age, speaking of romance, at two twenty, the year two twenty, so the year after the third Blackfire Rebellion, that's when Egg marries Beth of Blackwood. Not when he meets her. That's when he marries her. So they presumably have already met at this point, um, although they could meet and marry in roughly the same encounter, like within a span of one story, meet and get married all around this 220 date. So that's Not particularly interesting. I like to think that he meets her and they're, they're much younger. Yeah, I agree. And I prefer then, that too. Uh, you know, things, things go differently as they uh, go through puberty. Yeah, I absolutely prefer that as well. <laughs> this would, They would be late in their late teens at this point. So it's not like they're young, young, but they're young. They're not cringe. And young. it's a marriage for love. Yeah, <laughs> it is a marriage for love. So that's important. You're right. So the, uh, as far as our opportunity for romance, this is, we should take a long look at this one. Like, very strong possibility here. And that's why y'all were mentioning things like double date, maybe. Maybe Dunk meets somebody here as well at the same time. Well, yeah, that's what we're talking about. Uh, Dela, you know, yeah. Tarth, that if they, if this happens to, you know, coincide with going. Yeah, because he doesn't have to meet her at Raven Tree Hall or in that area. Probably will. Like, the village hero is a very strong option for her to and him to meet because, well, 
village. Well, we've got a few ideas for that. We'll get to that in a second. Yeah, you guys as the experts, uh, do you do you know, do we know if the marriage is a happy one? Uh, I have no clue. I believe it's mostly a happy marriage, though they, they do have some problems. <laughs> yeah, they do have some <laughs> they do have some issues with uh I believe with the marriages and how to handle like in the future. Yeah, that I know. Early but, on, yeah. Um, I don't I think early on it's very good. I think, yeah, because they didn't they I think I think the early part of their marriage is very strong. But you're but there is room for that to not be so straightforward. Um, but the, the vibe we've gotten so far is that, yeah. So a few other events, and then we'll circle back to talk about Beth of Blackwood and the Village Hero and, and more things that we know, uh, certainly. The year after that is when Makar becomes king, so Ares I dies. And that's fairly significant. There's a good chance that that gets documented. Duncan Egg might have to go somewhere, be at the coronation. I'm not sure. Two years into Makar's reign is a the start of a seven-year winter. I mean, whoa, right? So it's pretty much the entirety of Makar's reign because he only he rules for 12 years. So that's the largest. More than half of his reign is filled with this horrible winter. After the winter, there's a really long summer. <laughs> uh, there was a really long summer. So we've got all this. That long winter, by the way, that's what Makar gets for killing his brother. <laughs> <laughs> Just ask any common folk. They all know. <laughs> but then there's another really long winter uh, starting in 231, 236. So there's, it's really bad. Um, there's just so much winter during this phase, which again, if you're thinking of George sandboxing ideas for later, it's pretty straightforward that he could delve into things like how does Makar feed the realm and how does he manage all this? And since Makar is so similar to Stannis, and Stannis is currently running things in the north, sorta. You can the the possibilities for parallels are legion. I mean, they're massive here. Obviously, we're not gonna have White Walkers during Makar's reign. Probably won't have any zombies either. But the 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 problems of feeding the realm and managing like a disaster thing. It's hard to make it an interesting story. Is the problem? That's right? a more long term thing, to, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like it's something that is interested as I am in it. It's the thing I am more, more, way more interested in, the logistical challenges of leadership than in the, the details of some sword fight, right? Yeah. But I also know it's not as entertaining or appealing to audiences as an intriguing story. So I, I feel like it's more likely for that to be mostly skipped over. I think okay. that's a time when he could do a time jump and it also makes sense because it's less likely in that time period for big events to happen. It's less likely during the winter for there to also be some battle or some other big moving piece, some adventure by Dunk. I, maybe it is a time when they fall in love. Maybe when they're like huddled up in a castle for months at a time because it's yeah. too cold to go I mean, outside. That's, that's it, when right? they like... Is that during this time period, Dunk is... I mean, uh, Egg has married Betha and they're churning out kids. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. I, I need to correct myself real quick. I just realized my notes are wrong. I said start of seven-year winter in 223, 24. It's the start of a seven-year summer. Summer. <laughs> oh. I'm totally well, wrong. Everything I said is almost opposite. Yeah, it is opposite. <laughs> yeah, I just my notes are just wrong. I, I, no, no one pointed that out. I just sat sitting here realizing, wait a minute, that's not right. The, there's a super long winter that comes 231 to 236 that culminates with the fourth Blackfire Rebellion as soon as the winter fades. Yeah, you just had it backwards. You said winter, then summer. Yeah, yeah. So it's most of Makar's reign is, is a summer. But it is the winter does hit during his reign. He's still alive. He dies during the winter. It's during the, the peak rebellion. And winter is, is raging and he dies during it. So it was just is still... Everything we said is still valid. It's just 
a shorter period, and it starts to bleed into when Egg is ruler, not just when Makar is ruler. So that also changes that. So instead, the question is, how would they manage a long summer? And we've already, that is even perhaps potentially more likely to get skipped over because we've already seen this drought thing. Uh, I also think the long summer we had in the Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we, we saw how that works. There is food aplenty. It is nice. Uh, everyone's happy. Uh, there is uh, relatively little conflict because uh, everything is so abundant. Uh, so it, it's usually just this golden age thing. And yeah, sure, you can uh, you can do conflict in there. That's not a problem. Uh, but yes, that is the period that cries out, skip me. Uh, the most. <laughs> one thing let me throw out there, one detail that I, I mostly agree with you, one detail that, that adds a little more interest to this 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 time period is that people started talking about it as the great the great summer the summer without end like that started to become a a rumor or thing that people talked about because the summer lasted for so long so presumably that would be towards the end of it like people wouldn't start talking about that in year one but after six seven years of summer people are like is this the summer that never ends that could put the realm into a bit of a weird spot where people you get like religious people kind of the end is this or the blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, yeah, it seems like they would think it was good more than bad. Yeah, you're right. But good for Makar's reign at first. That's a good point. It's yeah. like kids are being popped out by Makar's kids, you know, eggs. Hmm. During this whole time period, he's like, they've had, they have like five children during the summer. Yeah, and I guess if you have that time of extreme plenty, the time of when it all comes crashing down with that nasty winter, really, that might be the... That much worse. Yeah. So yeah, Sean, yeah, what do you think? People were lulled into a false sense of security. The idea of storing up rain is like, ah. It's the summer that never ends. Yeah, it could cause them to get yeah. sloppy or, or to not think ahead. Hmm, yes. Another... Maybe. Another event around the same time, we're not sure exactly when, but in the 220s, so during this long summer, comes the gray plague in Old Town that Pycelle described to Ned like really early in A Game of Thrones. And he uses it, and Pycelle uses it as an example of the Lord Hightower at the town was, was Quentin. And he was like, Tywin, he's like, well, that guy did what needed to be done. He, he shut the gates to Old Town, wouldn't let anyone out. So the plague would run its course and, and keep it from spreading. And then they killed him <laughs> because they hated him for, for the quarantine, even though it was the right thing to do. You were asking uh, earlier what horror story we could tell. <laughs> there you oh, have Oh, wow. Think, think, think Chernobyl uh, oh. in, in Old Town, basically. Being stuck inside Old Town. And it's also another example of how we're talking about George working things out or thinking about things for the main series. This is exactly something like Protecting that. the people. Yeah. yeah. Or, or maybe working with... Yeah, but, but really, I mean, yeah. we don't know how long this uh, quarantine is, right? But it has to be weeks. Yeah, it has to be. It's substantial. Uh, yeah, yeah, very. Weeks in which people die on the streets uh, with an incredibly contagious disease that is horrible yeah. uh, to get. Uh, I mean, there you have a horror setting. Uh, yeah. And if it's even set in, is it set in summer? Yeah, yeah, mid mid to late two yeah, twenties, okay. right when we were talking about that summer. Yeah, because uh, right, you have suffocating uh, heat on the top of it. Yeah, because Pycelle lived there at the time. Like he was, he was at yes. the Citadel then. So yeah, yeah. And hot. So of course, and he we have Eamon was there too. Yeah, and Eamon would have been there too. So they'd have maybe another. You have to imagine Eamon would try to help people more than the average person, just because he, you know, Targaryen <laughs> exceptionalism. He would think I'm not going to get sick. Yeah, Aemon yeah. would probably be, you know, pretty yeah. deep in the action. Interesting. With, yeah. I mean, if Dunk and Egg were part of things too, I, and that's how we would be seeing it. But if they were, Egg would be similar. You would think that nice. Egg would be out among the people. He might be. Yeah, he might do some but shades of Danny. Danny did the same thing. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, I yeah, could have shades of that. That's a really, really strong potential for parallels there. Yeah. 
yet another possible horror story. The fall of Hal Lawson happens in the early 230s. And Hal Lawson, we have Danielle Lawson, who supposedly turned to the black arts. And we have all these rumors that are almost certainly exaggerated, like sending bats to steal children. Like, I kind of doubt that happened. But still, you can have horror where the the monstrous elements are meant to be... Or it's uh, Scooby-Doo. In, yeah. That could be sort of that that could be inverted where it's like, oh, she's not really a monster, but people believe she is. Something like that. Yeah. It's like, who is it really? It's not Danelle Lawson. It's actually (laughs) Paris R. Martin. Public perception of (laughs) a woman in power with red hair. Exactly. You have so many things. It's a great opportunity for deconstruction of uh, all the bias against women in power, all the prejudice against women in power. Like she bathes in blood. Well, she has red hair. Are you sure that's not just red hair dye? You know, we've brought that up a few times, but like, yeah. Again, very possible. Um, The opportunity for Duncan Egg to go to Heron Hall. I mean, yeah, like horror story. Another possibility there. What what does that, what does this idea do for you guys? You think this is maybe not as good as some of the other ones or? I don't think it's likely. You don't think it's likely? Too small, too small of a story. Too small of a story. Okay. I mean, I would love to see Janelle Lawson, but I, yeah, I don't really think see it is significant enough okay. to dunk an egg themselves. Maybe I'm too hopeful just because she showed up. At, yeah, exactly. Was like, maybe she that's does just, show she up. did appear. You could, but yeah, you could look at that. It doesn't mean much to show. Foreshadowing. Up, <laughs> they'll look back and be like, oh, Janelle Lawson had showed up back then. <laughs> it is possible. I, I would kind of like it, but there's a lot of other stories I'd rather. Uh, learn about. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I don't think being too small is the reason for George to not do it. If he wants to write a horror short story, yeah. and he's got these characters in a setting for it. Like, a, this is a, a, a way for him to play around with story ideas that he wants to do as much as it is a, what we want it to be a way to flesh out the world of, of Westeros or whatever. But he, he still can have this itch to write these certain genres of stories. So. It could be more of the education of a king stuff when you have a vassal that does things like this. How do you handle it? Like, perception versus reality, like what does Egg do? I don't know. What do you think, Stefan? It, de- it depends a bit if you uh, if you get a new angle on Harrenhal. Uh-huh. Because we have a lot of horror in Harrenhal in the Clash of Kings and the Storm of Swords. And can you chop that with the fall of House Loxton? Well, if anyone can do it, George can, but I agree. Maybe it's yeah, a challenge. Sure. Maybe it's, sure. maybe it's or can you amend that, if not top it? You know? Okay, yeah. And so. I'm not sure if, if we can get a great horror story out of it because, I mean, Heron Hell is still given to a new house and uh, it's not like anyone is talking about the curse uh, as more profound afterwards. That's and true. if Duncan Egg really experienced horror in Heron Hell... I don't assume that they will just go over to business as usual with this castle. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so moving on. One thing that's huge during Makar's reign is Egg having children. Almost all, or potentially all of Egg's kids, some of the dates are uncertain, are born in this reign. And he has five of them with Betha. Duncan the Small, aka Duncan Prince of Dragonflies, is born somewhere in the time frame of 220 to 224. So within four years of them getting married, they popped out a kid. Yeah, possibly right away. So, but yeah, at the, at the longest four years. And then it's like a steady stream of kids for a little while. They got Jerry's born in 225, Shara 226, Daron born in 228. And then Rael, who is the one that marries Ormond Baratheon, the one who's grandmother of Robert, Stannis, and Renly. She is born in somewhere between 229 and 233. So yeah, she's the one who technically, as Egg ascended, he might have also been having a child. Yeah. 
Daron is the one who would have been Olena Tyrell's husband, or Olena Redwine's husband. <laughs> uh, and to, in the year 230, this one, I'm not so sure Duncan Egg will be involved in any way, but it's something that's going to probably pop up as a mention in one of their stories, if not be directly involved in. Rohan's disappearance in the year 230. So right, so it's about two years after Daron is born, around the time Rael is born, Rohan disappears. So I wonder if that's going to be relevant to them or just something they kind of think about or, yeah, because I, I kind of doubt they'll be involved, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm not imagining thinking through it properly. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? That's totally going to be the murder mystery episode. Oh, <laughs> kidnapping, disappearance, missing persons case, cold case, Westeros. <laughs> <laughs> Two years later, Arian drinks wildfire. I kind of doubt they're involved in that anyway, but boy, that's an interesting event. And I really like, maybe it's just as simple as it sounds. Like he just drinks wildfire because he's a crazy person. But maybe like someone encouraged him to do it. <laughs> like he was drunk and they nah. egged him on. I don't know, probably not. He's just crazy. Egged him on. Egged him on. Yes. <laughs> Couldn't help myself. <laughs> Egg is definitely pro-Aryan drinking wild. <laughs> yeah, he's like, do it, brother. Drink that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Drink it, drink it. It's right there. I mean, he's he's in exile. I think we know that. Uh, by then he does it while he's in exile. No, no, he no, he's back by then. He does it at King's Oh, Landing. he yeah, is. Yeah. Okay. Because he participates in the third yeah, Blackfire Rebellion. He's he he fights okay. it. Yeah. It it still sounds like this event to me where someone mentions it and he is just like, okay. I mean, he is not going to be distraught. He is not going to be overjoyed because by then Arian is just old news and stale. So <laughs> I, I don't see this uh, becoming uh, a major topic. I, I don't know. It uh, would in, be pretty major. It depends. It, it, yeah, like, it would one. change things from, I mean, Egg inherits because Arian is dead. Well, the question is whether or not Daron is dead by that point. He probably is, but he might not be. Well, Daron's they, death is open. Like, when does Daron the Drunken die? They both die by 233, and yeah. if Arian dies in 232... Yeah, then, Daron's probably dead by then. Yeah, You're probably, right. probably dead by Or at least they die around the same time. But either way, that's one less person, one fewer person that is... Uh, in Egg's way. Yeah, it, it creates a potential succession crisis, not crisis, but a succession situation, which apparently is never resolved because otherwise it would have not just, it wouldn't have been so confusing when Maycart died, which is the following year. Like there wouldn't have been a great council if this issue had been settled before Maycart's death. So I think it was something that was up in the air when Maycart died, which probably gave a lot of people a lot of anxiety when Maycart's like, yes, I'm going to lead from the front, <laughs> even though I don't have a specified heir. Do we know any details of Arian drinking that wildfire? Is there any... Uh, Other than... Okay, here's a detail. Anything surrounding the scenario or context for not, it? Not the event itself. The only thing with it that I would say is super important to keep in mind is that Eamon claims all his brothers died dreaming of dragons. So there could be dream dragon dreams related to his uh, incentive here. He may have thought, dreamed of something here. Kind of like how Ares thought that blowing up King's Landing would turn him into a dragon, right? Like, that's kind of similar, right? They both involve wildfire, right? Like, hmm, you know, and they weren't that far apart, like 50-some years apart. So then we have Summerhall, which also involves wildfire. So, like, something, this wildfire theme and is It's also peculiar. worth noting that I suppose that in the same year that Arian died, he had a son, and yeah, son he did have passed a... over. But, you know, there was more happening there in terms of, of Targaryen kids being born. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, so there's a lot of potential there for storytelling, you know, like... This. Like, <laughs> it, it, there's some potential that he was 
you know, having dreams, right? Mm, that he was supposed yeah, to absolutely. do this and maybe misinterpreting or juxtaposing. Or he was supposed but, to do it because even his dreams wanted him to die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> even his dreams hated I'm, him. I'm remembering this, uh, this, this moment when I was in the army and we had, you know, the platoon sergeant and the, the lieutenant were kind of like egging each other on, to, you know, who's more manly or whatever. And chewing tobacco is pretty common in the military because in the field, you can't smoke cigarettes because the, the light discipline, you could see a lit cigarette from miles away in the dark. Mm. So people who were addicted to nicotine, they chew tobacco instead. So these spit cups sitting there and they're like, if you're a real man, you drink your oh. spit, your oh. tobacco. And he just didn't blink an eye. The sergeant just picked it up, chugged it down. And then what as the quickly hell? as he did that, he just turned green, pooped it <laughs> right back I'm pretty up. sure that's like a lot of us in the audience right now. So just yeah, we just did that without actually drinking it. We still turned oh. green. But could, could Arian have been bold or crazy or egged or, you know. Well, we know he was crazy. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, like. Why don't you drink that wildfire if you're so like that, a, a real Targaryen could do it? You know, that's, like I that's what I'm he, saying. I think he might have been. It's, it's entirely possible. Like it, it's, he was, he's drunk. He's unstable. Uh, so yeah, who knows? I don't know. His honor's been slighted already, or something. And yeah, yeah you never know. And he's going to be a lot older by this point. Like we've seen Arian. We know he's awful, but this is. We saw him in the year 209. This is 23 years later. <laughs> so it's not that he's going to be a good person by then. But he's going to have changed a little bit, you know, if not more. Uh, he's still going to be violent and cruel and, and all that. But So that's another thing that adds a lot of fascination, a lot of storytelling possibility, a lot of conflict, and potentially raises a new theme or new story idea is, is personal tragedy. And this also ties into the Rohan disappearance. Okay, so a reason they might actually get involved in that is that all of a sudden, not long after that, or maybe not, not long before that, Aegon, Egg has one of Rohan's sons as his squire. So, Tion Lannister what? is Egg's squire at the time. What's that name? Tion. Tion, yeah. okay. This is new to me. I didn't know this little bit. And so, and Tion dies during the peak uprising at the same time his father dies. So, both Tion and Makar die storming uh, Starpike or besieging Starpike. So, that's pretty bad. Like, that's a huge loss for him. And it could be combined into the Great Council, which is in the same year, which results in him being crowned Aegon V. And Nina adds a thought here. This could be the legal drama thing where, you know, we have mm-hmm. who's going to be king. You got to hash all that out. And of course, Michelle, you think I, of... Yeah, it made me think of if we see a council for Bran, that this is a hashing out that sort oh, of thing. Oh, yeah. Yep. Good call. And who is... And especially because Bran's mentor is Bloodraven and the actual leader mm-hmm. of this great council in 233 is Hand of the King Bloodraven. So <laughs> it's like, whoa, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'm just a little bit skeptical that we will actually see the council. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, you know, that, that egg will be uh, present uh, at the council itself. Mm. I, I don't know, at least for the deliberation process of it. And Dunk is just such an unsuited character mm. to give us the, the, the political drama yeah, of it. Yeah, that's a good point people who were in a council could come talk to Egg about it. We could get a scene and multiple scenes of him being updated. I don't don't think we will see the council itself as it plays out. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there'd be a way for him to play around it without showing it directly, maybe, or... Mm -hmm. I mean, mean, just imagine uh, Sam's first chapter 
Sam's first chapter in A Storm of Swords, like from the structure with the uh, with the flashbacks, that could be uh, how this works out, basically mm. by people uh, giving us uh, over the course of a story that's ostensibly about something else. Uh, people give us piece by piece what happened uh, at the council. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that is a structure that I can um, that I can imagine. That sounds cool. What were you gonna say, Shep? Do we think that all the candidates were there at the Great Council or do they have the deliberations separate? Well, some of the candidates were like babies. So that's yeah, the problem. Obviously. So they were they wouldn't need to be present, but But you know, I yeah. think about say when we had when they were trying to decide um who would um, inherit Like Eamon probably wasn't there and he was a candidate, but Yeah, well, I was trying to think about like Rainies, the queen who never was, you know, back yeah. in that council. Yeah. Like I think she was there to press her claim. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, um, I would say I would think anyone who who could be would want to be. And so right? Egg, yeah. I think, would be there. Um, the point about Dunk not being there makes sense. Although, again, if Egg has a personal bodyguard, you know... It also depends it, on if he's in the Kingsguard by then or not. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, I, I don't want to be misunderstood. I think uh, that he is there because of the pressing of the claim, you know? Yeah. Uh, we also know uh, that the Blackfire heir uh, is uh, specifically invited to press his claim. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think... I don't think Egg will be present for the deliberations. Okay. And mm. th- that is the point. I think... Oh, for the voting. The I see. For the actual, like, yeah, yeah, he doesn't get to cast a vote. He's a candidate. And, and for, on, for the whole deliberation process, because h- how are these people going to discuss this stuff uh, if mm. the claimants themselves are present? You know, this is just weird. Yeah. Um, how can you as a lord uh, deliberate with your peers uh, about how not who not to choose if that person is there and after that he gets chosen, that's, that's Some, just bad. Sometimes yeah. the person that's going to be chosen is one of the people that deserves to have a vote. Oh, like yeah. sometimes yeah. they they are already a lord and they deserve to weigh in on this matter. That's a good point. The, yeah, the fact that. The fact that all this intrigue exists is why I'm so sure we'll get it in some form, right? Because all mm. these things we're saying, like there are certain people who would want to be present, not only because they'd want to make their case, but like you're saying, because it's going to be hard for someone to speak against them. Right now, what are you going to do after? Yeah. Here's where Stefan could be well, right, right, is it could be, this is one of those things that I agree with you. This has to be sorted out one way or the other. It could be sorted out in Fire and Blood 2 rather than Duncan Egg. Just going to say, throw that out there. As a possibility. One way or the other, I know I would want to be in the room where it happens. Yeah. <laughs> totally with you there, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Couple points from some of the commenters here. Julie A says a, rit- a religious uprising would be another possible theme to explore, or religious conversion, or just entertaining the idea of adopting the faith or grappling with the notion of faith. That's a really good and, point, especially as it pertains to knighthood. Uh, yeah, and Dornish Dame adds, "This is why I grabbed it." And says, "This is maybe something to explore through Egg and Betha's marriage with her worshiping the old gods. They're nice. going to have a set of children yes. who, like Ned and Catelyn, are going to be familiar with both the faith of the Seven and the old." gods and dragon dreams. Great really. point. Yeah. Um, multiple religions there. Yeah. But the, that is definitely, go- there's no way that can't be something that they deal with. That That isn't going to just be basic. Like there are going to be people who care about the fact that there is an old gods worshiper as their queen. Great point. Yeah. Great point. Apparently, she did uh, was a popular enough queen that it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a big problem, but it was probably a problem for a few people. That may have been part of the argument. I imagine 
that gets brought up at the Great Council. Like some septons might argue against. It's one of the reasons that people argue against him is because of his. He's so tied to the lowborn people. He's so his attention to commoners and all that. That was that made some nobles the unwary. The Blackwing will be bad. Will be very bad compared to Blood Raven as well. Yeah, and they're like that's another Blackwood comparison. Of course, Blood Raven is. Yeah, biased. good point. Good point. So yeah, Betha and Blood Raven's kinship. I doubt they know each other really well, but yeah, they're from the same family. That's absolutely relevant. The Brackens would certainly be against it <laughs> wherever they are. <laughs> How old is Egg when this council is happening? Well, it's 233. Like 33? So he would be about okay. 33. Well, yeah, or 31, maybe. Yeah, Because yeah, um, right. I think I think Eamon's born in 198. And I think Egg was two to three years after that. So yeah. Duncan joins the Kingsguard at some point. We don't know. At the latest, it's 236 because he's definitely in the Kingsguard by 236. Probably has already been in it for a little while. Most certainly he's in it at least by the time Egg is king. He, I'm guessing it's he made it before that, that. Egg becomes king and he's like, snap, I'm, yeah, I'm making like, you a Kingsguard. Insta Kingsguard. Of course, but there's not I always a slot open. Yeah, yeah, I think it's very likely that it happens after, you know, he distinguishes himself in the Blackfire Rebellion. Yeah, I, I feel like Makar would have named him to the Kingsguard. Yeah, I think so. I mean, especially um, like then you have like, you know, a prestigious Kingsguard taking your son around. But he's definitely not Lord Commander by this point. That is absolutely later. So mm-hmm. we're not sure about that. I realized I made another small mistake here. <laughs> Tion wasn't killed during the Peak Uprising. He he becomes squire to Egg around the time. He's killed in the year of the Red Spring, which is three years later. Um, that is during the Fourth Blackfire Rebellion. So Six years after his mother disappeared. Yeah, so six years after his mother disappears, three years after he becomes king. And this is not much of a rebellion. The Fourth Blackfire Rebellion maybe doesn't need to be told as far as the war part. The war part is not very interesting. It's over so quickly. The... The, war, the, the thinking seems to be there was that really long winter, five-year winter, then the Blackfires invade as soon as the winter's over. And this is called the year of the Red Spring, which is confusing because it's the second year of the Red Spring. There's a re- year of the Red Spring in the year 120 that's part of setting up the Dance of the Dragons. It's the year Lena dies in, in childbirth. And uh, so Tion is killed in this battle. And Dunk personally kills Damon III Blackfire in like the first battle of the war, which, well, that, that went quickly, didn't it? <laughs> so it, that, that was also the end of the war. So that I'm not sure about because it's interesting because the war itself sounds pretty not that interesting. But the loss of Tion could be interesting and the other events of the year of the Red Spring because it was a bad, really disastrous year. Lots of things go badly. Egg's first real challenge is King. That's a potential idea for a compelling story? Or is that compelling? I'm not sure. I think it would. I mean, when we say something like that, it's always, George can make anything compelling. Like, if you give him enough time or leeway, he's that good. But that doesn't mean he's going to start off, you know, working uphill. <laughs> start yeah. off with something that's already really interesting. For me, it's like, yeah, we, ha- we will have seen a lot of Blackfire rebellions and war and stuff by this point. But going forward is obviously that Dunk kills Damon the Third and that Tion dies because I think those are two things that would have a lot of emotional resonance for yeah. both of them. Because Dunk, you know, he, he knew and liked Damon the Second. That he pr- presumably they might have interacted again in King's Landing. Probably That's not a great Dunk, point. but yeah, uh, you know, whatever there. But Tion's death would have been certainly significant for Egg because that's his squire um, that died. Yeah, and D- Dunk would probably know Tion, and, too. And, yeah, and that's Rohan's son. I, I think that his death would definitely um, upset them. Probably the biggest part of this. Possibly the biggest part of this. Yeah, I think I think that might that might be... Um, yeah, if that were a story, that would be like a central piece of it is the death of Tion. Yeah, it, it is also because uh, the Fourth Blackfire Rebellion is so 
so small uh, and stupid, and it is the fourth time by now. It all it all feels very superfluous, very wasteful, uh, and losing uh, teen uh, in the process, uh, I guess, would add and compound to this. You know, this yeah, war point. is bad thing. Yeah, such a pointless, easy war, but it took someone so precious to them away. Yeah, that's a great point. Great point. A lot of times, you, the the deaths in a battle are just these numbers that we hear. But when it's someone that the characters care about, you know, even in a, especially maybe when it's a, a, a less meaningful battle, it could full of potential for Martin to write about. Right on. Okay. Yeah, I, I had just one small thought. I, I just finished a reread of Storm of Swords, and uh, when I was thinking about the battle against the Yunkai, uh, the Daenerys does, uh, they are coming back like the enemy lost two hundred, and we only lost a dozen. And I was thinking uh, at that time, yeah, but for those dozen, it really sucks, no. uh, you know, because not not only not only did you die, but you died in that very easy battle that everyone remembers as a cakewalk, and then so so you you don't get any honors or anything like that. And I think Tian's death uh, is feeling a lot like this because people will always talk about the Fourth Blackfire Rebellion as this easy thing, never a danger, but Egg lost an important person Great point. Uh, yeah. to this, you know? Yeah. And uh, it, this is true about every battle, you know? Uh, people always die. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for example, in uh, World War II, the invasion of Denmark caused a grand total of 37 deaths. But those 37 people, uh, for their families... That's everything. They died. Yeah. You, you know, they, they're still dead. And how how do you... How do you cope with that if you die in a war that everybody views as utterly insignificant? Yeah, you're right. Just yeah. to have people think that way. Yeah, to have Egg and Dunk, especially Egg, have that thrown in his face. Yeah, that war, ha, those stupid black fires. Look at them accomplishing nothing, like, except killing my squire, damn it. Yeah, like, yeah, you're right. That's a really yeah. compelling. Dunk, meanwhile, is like, yeah, I mean, he cares too, but he's like, I had to kill someone that reminds me of someone that I got along with. Or Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then a mere three years later, we have another really potentially compelling event. Duncan the Small meets and immediately marries Jenny of Old Stones. Uh, so that's a long time before Summerhall still, but... And Duncan would have been at max 19. Yeah, Ma- you're right. At max 19. Kind of paralleling around the time that um, Egg would have met Betha. Yeah, potentially as young as 15, too. Yeah, so. I, I honestly think that the younger side makes more sense because... He isn't married by then. It makes more sense than if he's 19 or 18 years old and not married mm. um, to me personally. And like, he, you know, that's um, a good more point. Of a foolish thing that a 15 year old. That's do. a really great point because Dunk, Duncan, the next point on the on the list here is Duncan fights the Laughing Storm later in that year. And he fights the Laughing Storm because Duncan the Small marries Jenny of Oldstone. So the, they were betrothed. If he had been 19, they would have married. probably yeah. would have been married already. I mean, yeah, it's I mean, part of it is the girl's age. She, yeah, yeah, I don't know how old you're she right. was. Um, so so that there's is, the caveat, but yeah. still, you're right. That's a, that's a huge one. This one, more so than a lot of the others, is like very likely to be a Dunkin' Egg story. These two events together are really big. You get the Laughing Storm, like a, a character we've already seen and met. He's important. Jenny of Oldstone's massively important. But as far as like how and, and the details, I don't have a lot. Just that it seems like a really important milestone, perhaps one of the more important ones on this list. Especially because, as we'll see in a minute, going forward, the 240s, that range, I don't see much. The 250s start to get more interesting again. I mean, I would absolutely love more information on it. Is I mean, only the song uh, is so 
prominent, uh, basically. Uh, you know, it's the uh, the Jenny of Old Stone saying, uh, it's the, since the show did it, uh, it's in everyone's mind. So I want you to know what's what's up with that, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and with the uh, Ghost of High Heart uh, and all of that. I also... I mean, I I have not no problem with knowing the story of the Laughing Storm and that duel, but I feel that I already know the deal about that now. It's less uh, important than the, the Old Stones, Jenny part, yeah. right? By by a good. I mean, it, that story is just told. It's it's a duel. It, it's honorable. Yada yada yada. Okay, that's a good point. Yeah, it, it, it's not it's not a, a really interesting story. As apart from maybe Dunk's feelings towards uh, Lionel Baratheon, but then. He's not that much of an important figure in the Hedge Knight. Yeah. I mean, he's prominent because he sticks in your head because of his character. But for Dunk himself, it is not like he's the important one. That's Baylor uh, and uh, and not Lionel. Yeah. Even Beesbury would be much more important uh, in terms of oh my god, I have to face this guy. <laughs> uh, so uh, I don't think there's much drama to be had. But Jenny of Old Stones, there there is uh, some potential there. Right on. I'm sort of along the same line. I don't think. I don't know, is every other book going to be a tournament, going to be a joust or whatever? <laughs> I feel like he's got a, more to cover to that than that. I think Stefan also mentioned earlier, sometimes the story is ostensibly about one thing, but through the course of it, we learn about something else. Yeah. And I think that could happen in a, a lot of these topics that we're hitting. Right on. Okay. An event that's important, but probably not going to involve Duncan Egg is the death of Bittersteel. I, I mean, I'm not saying they're involved in his death. He dies in a supposedly meaningless skirmish in the disputed lands. So they certainly won't be directly involved in that. But whether that is uh, happens in the span of a story that it's referenced and it's an important event that gets told, maybe. But as far as the actual event, it's hard for them to be involved in a meaningless skirmish in the disputed lands and have that be important somehow. Fast forward 10 whole years to 251, where we have the second sort of incursion of the rat, the hawk, and the pig, this very mysterious faction, only distinguished by these animal names, and the fact that they attacked Alora at a masked ball in Alora, and this was involved in um, an event back in the two teens there. But more relevantly here, it's another small rebellion that doesn't go very far that takes the life of someone close to uh, Egg. His son, Daron, the one who would have married Olena, but he followed his heart and went after a dude because he's into dudes. And uh, he was also quite a warrior. So that's part of why he was involved in this war as a leader, but he died. So that's a pretty straightforward, if, if he... If we don't have we haven't already done the stuff with Tion or maybe other things, I don't know. Maybe this would be redundant, but it definitely has potential. Certainly, it's later in life. Egg will be, you know, fifty years old by this point. So, I almost think it's too much. I don't know how well <laughs> Mark could write that or how hard it would be for an audience to read it. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah, it is kind of tricky that way. Same, uh, same as with Sean. Yeah, uh, I don't know if I want to read a story of losing a son. Mm. I, I also have this feeling, as we are going on discussing this stuff, that all scenarios that are where Duncan Egg are really old characters, like 40 plus, mm -hmm. they don't spark hey, the same interest. that old. <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm in the same age group. And <laughs> sorry, it, it is, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, it is. Um, <laughs> But they just don't interest me in the same way as the early ones. Yeah. So uh, what we discussed earlier, I was always like, yeah. And, and now I'm, 
I'm feeling I'm searching for excuses to write these stories. I, you know? that's, that's why I asked at the beginning whether the earlier stuff might be interesting. Because the same thought occurred to me. Like the fact that they can't be as mobile, the fact that everything would like happen from the Iron Throne, like from the throne room, is definitely less interesting. Uh, like the fact that he can't move around to different locations as much. Yeah. They're becoming more interesting for the background, you know, if you want yeah. to learn about politics, about history, about the world, etc. But not as stories with characters in yeah. them. And as I said yeah. in the very beginning of this podcast, this is what draws me to these novellas. If I want to read history, I can read Fire and Blood. Uh, there I don't need characters. <laughs> I was going to say in the same way you can't every other episode have a joust. I guess maybe mm. you can. But you also <laughs> can't have every other episode or every episode just be, you know... Uh, egg on the throne with people coming at him yeah. with their dilemmas or whatever. They, they, he needs to go out and do stuff. And you maybe could have a couple books yeah. like that. Like he yeah. definitely goes and, somewhere. Fact, that would be very interesting. But yeah, like he goes from where for Summerhall. Clearly that doesn't happen at court. So there are, it's not like he's absolutely rooted to King's Landing, but it is, he need George this, has to come up with an explanation for why he's not at court. This line of thought, by the way, leads me again to my supposition that maybe he's going to pepper in some other POVs, though. That is a way mm, that yes, he could yes. add more intrigue to these later stories where Egg and Dunk are more physically confined if we can see other people go I, off on some adventure I generally, that they requested of them or they're reporting back to. Or I generally, Sean, don't think that'll ever be the case. But if it were, I think that it would be possible in a prologue or an epilogue. Yeah, I think right, that yeah. could. That, I don't that think that'll sense. happen, even that. But uh, the idea of an epilogue um, do, doesn't uh, turn me off. My supposition is not that it's going to turn into the main series style of having a dozen different POVs that you constantly alternate between, but that you might have, like, instead of I, I'm making numbers up, but let's just say one of the main series books has. 12 of Ned, 12 of Arya, 12 of Sansa, 12 of Danny, whatever. Yeah. We, we might instead have 10 of Dunk, 4 of Egg, 1 of some Maester, 1 of some Squire. You might. Like here's that. one where that I think is a very strong chance where you'd need another POV is if in the last one. If like Dunk dies in Summerhall, you can't just have that be the end. Like, yeah, right there, boom, it's over. Getting an like, epilogue like, from, he's burned to know, death and yeah. it's over. <laughs> like, I feel like an actual epilogue yeah. to the series an of epilogue, the tales yeah. of Dunk and A. You're right. You at least need an epilogue. Yeah, you at least need an epilogue. Like, someone. Maybe. I'd be kind of an interesting narrative yeah, choice. Just if, have him like, die and that'd be it. Yeah. It's just. And the last thing he heard, you know. <laughs> yeah, you could. You're right. I guess I shouldn't uh, say for that sure. Would, yeah. That is an ending. <laughs> it's that an is ending. Fact, <laughs> it could even be the the whole book could be his life flashing before his eyes, as if you will. Oh you know wow! He I mean? yeah. could be reflecting on stories of how his squire died and how he fell in love. Wow. You know, as he's realizing he's about to burn to death, <laughs> and you know that could easily be. A, a whole story, a whole book sure. full of just different segments of it being moments of his life that he's show. remembering. You want a clip show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, fa- the year after Daron's death, Tywin comes to court as a cupbearer. So you got little Tywin, young Tywin. Uh, that's the kind of thing that I think Stefan's talking about. Like, that would be fun, but is it really like that compelling? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe like, again, you don't want to sell George I, short, I but like, like that, I don't know. That in particular, but that as something that is the case during other compelling events. You like throw that in like that, as he, part of another story. You know, other things are happening. And oh, oh look, there's Tywin. Just like how yeah. like, the story wasn't about Walder Frey. Right. But he was in He was there. in it. Yeah. For example, the next year, Egg knights Barristan the Bold after Barristan the Bold beats Dunk in a tournament. Uh, when he's when Barristan the Bold is 16, meaning he's about the age 
Dunk is the age Barrison is now at that point. Like in the Song of Ice and Fire, Barrison's POVs would be about this lining up of Dunk's age at that moment. But of course, the problem with that is like Sean says, like, what, are we going to have another tournament? Like what? <laughs> you know, to, to return to the Summer Hall thing. Yeah. Um, one aspect of this story is that it needs it needs to close the circle to the foot of a hedge knight being worth uh, the oh, death of a prince. So, um, great point. He he rescues Rhaegar, and the rescue of baby Rhaegar will, over several detours, lead to the birth of John and Daenerys, mm-hmm. which um, uh, not Daenerys, but uh, lead to the uh, lead to the birth of John. Yeah. And so maybe uh, to the defeat of the others. And I feel that this needs to be somewhere in there. And I could imagine, basically, the book really closing on Dunk dying and reflecting on how he now rescued baby Rhaegar. Uh, Maybe he goes back into... (laughs) Maybe he goes back into the flames to get Aegon. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. But for some reason, he rescues Rhaegar first. And then he doesn't manage to get Aegon out. And uh, then he, uh, and in the end, it's like, yeah, at least the dynasty is secured, you know, uh, for another generation and, wow. uh, or two. Yeah. Something like that. You know, him, him ending basically on this note, uh, having secured the realm, where in truth, he rescued the person that will bring down the dynasty. But in the same time, so the seed for uh, the rescue of the world. You know, I, I don't know how you do this from Dunk's perspective. But for us as readers, I think this is the important part to get across when we come to some of That's a fantastic uh, take. And, yeah. And the, and the impact of it. Sorry, one way you might be able to do it from Dunk's perspective is if someone has a vision of it. If someone tells Dunk, you have to say, Dunk wants to save Aegon, but no, you have to save Rhaegar. Why? I don't know. I dreamed it. But... That's a, a way you're you're in, surrounded in, by Targaryens in that it, it, it may not sound it, at first glance that might sound a bit far fetched, but realize that we have like every living Targaryen is at some summer hall. So the chance for some casual dragon dreams to get mentioned is certainly higher than normal by a good bit. So yeah, at a, at a potentially pers- mystical moment, I personally yeah. think that in all likelihood, in a situation like this, you save the baby first. Well, okay, so like, I'm just saying, and that is an important thing. Let's let's yeah, let's get detailed here. Rhaegar is born during Summerhall. Like, yeah. whether it's, like, during the conflagration or or she's let outside, gives birth, like, on the lawn, something like that. It's not... Yeah, the timing is up in the air, but still. first, pregnant woman... Yeah, like, you save the pregnant woman. Yeah, yeah like, that's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Hold on, though. I thought... I might have my facts wrong, but I thought this whole Summerhall event was to celebrate the birth of Rhaegar. I thought he was already born. No. No. Okay. No. Okay. Uh, no. No. It's to wake dragons. Uh, but uh, but this was also my thought uh, about this thing. Uh, you do not need a vision uh, for this. You could do it as uh, you could do it perfectly as a tragedy because it's as you said, it's a natural thing to get the pregnant woman and or the baby out, uh, and then you go back in to get your liege lord and best friend, uh, best buddy. Maybe he rescues other people before. You know, yeah. goes in back and forth, and maybe Aegon does as well because it's just who he is. <laughs> Uh, and then at one point, uh, something bad happens. This could be our disaster movie uh, episode, you know? Mm, uh, they yes. are going in, and then uh, and then this column comes crashing down, and then this um, uh, part of the ceiling breaks, and more and more avenues are closed off, and then they go in maybe to rescue uh, the maid, the kitchen maid, or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, you know? And, and that is what gets them in the end. That's something great. like that needs to be in there, That's great, uh, yeah. I feel. 
And I think you can do this pretty well from Nunk's perspective and end with him dying, mm. uh, actually. I don't, I don't think that's that weird. Uh, I don't think we need an epilogue. Okay, actually. yeah, yeah, maybe. Because the epilogue, the epilogue is essentially all that we learn in the Game of Thrones uh, about what happened. You're right, we kind of already have an epilogue. Yeah. yeah, you're kind of right. We kind of already have it, yeah, in a way. Hmm. By the way, Nina does clarify that Th- their gathering was, you know, technically to celebrate Rhaegar's birth and his, you know, just incoming as much. Birth, impending. Birth, yeah, yeah, like they knew, like they knew she's it was pregnant. Yeah. She's, she's about to give birth, so let's gather everyone here and also let's do this thing with that I wanted to do with the eggs that maybe I didn't tell all of you. About. Yeah, and that went a little well haywire, haywire. Yeah. Just, mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> But yeah, it was a big excuse. I to want have to a read that story reunion. now. Yeah, it's that's really good, Stefan. You really nailed that. I think you, you really highlighted some of the important parts that I think liter- from a literary perspective and like. Yeah, I think bringing up that we don't need an epilogue because a song of ice and fire is the epilogue. And the whole um, foot and thing, fire like and blood too, why his saving his foot was important. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's really good stuff, man. Yeah, we talked about that, I believe, when that happened, about the, the, the significance of, of how how real that was. Yes. Little did they know. Yeah, little hey, little did they Tru- know. Yeah, his feet his are important. feet mattered, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fodder for foreshadowing comments and says, get him, he's right there in terms of like rescuing people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you didn't, if you weren't, didn't catch this, Stefan, in each of these books egg yells at dunk during a fight he yells get him he's right there <laughs> except when it's arian he yells kill him he's right there yeah that makes sense yeah small note here after summer hall is the war of nine penny kings which would be compelling like as an event potentially but not from duncan egg since they'll be dead but there is no uh G- game of thrones canon is slightly different than a song of ice and fire canon in terms of egg and dunk and all these things is that there is no jaharis the second as a king in game of thrones canon it goes straight from egg to aries the second so egg is aries the second's father uh i think it is or they just have jaharis die prematurely i'm not sure which but i think it's egg is just directly aries's father so that's not a big difference uh, cuz jaharis only lived for 3 years so like just swapping, you know, eliminating him from the picture is not a big change. But if we see that happen on TV, you know, you all, y'all won't be surprised if they just go straight from Egg to the Mad King. Okay, let's uh, let's take just a few final minutes here and talk about the the two that we really have a few, a little bit of information on and maybe flesh it out just a little bit more. That's the She-Wolves of Winterfell and the Village Hero. The other titles are the Sellsword, which we discussed a little bit, the Kingsguard, which we just don't have that much to go on. It, it does describe something that seems pretty straightforward, Dunk joining the Kingsguard. But other than that title, we just, we don't know when it sat or anything like that. The Lord Commander, which also kind of explains itself, at least on the surface, that's him becoming Lord Commander, the Kingsguard. Presumably the fight with the laughing storm. It could be that, yeah. yeah that is, I, I think, a lot of people guessed mine personally. I agree, yeah. But we, but we pretty much discussed that already. Uh, so we don't need to rehash that. And my working title for the Summer Hall one is Girls Gone Wildfire. Uh, so, you know. Um, Stephen face palmed again. <laughs> Can't, Hans, yep. who doesn't love that? <laughs> so as we said at the beginning, that quote indicated the She-Wolves of Winterfell is a working title. It's not what he intended for the title. Yeah, it's not really in line with the other titles. <laughs> yeah. But he yeah. said, he's, he's been planning this at least as far back as 2006. At Boscone, he said this. This is an indirect quote from someone uh, that from we know. Westeros.org commentary. We know oh, we do? Yeah. He mentioned something about five Lady Starks running Winterfell, the wolf women, or something like that. 
with four of them, widows of a bunch of fairly recent former Lord Starks and the current Lady Stark, whose 30-something husband is fading fast from a wound taken from fighting the Ironborn. So that's Lord Baron Stark. Baron Stark's brother Rodwell already died recently. His father, Brand, or their father, Brandon, died somewhat recently. His brother, Brand, uh, Barthigan, Barth Blacksword. Their Brandon and Barthigan's older brother, Jonal, one, Jonal One-Eye. And the father to Brandon, Bart, and Jonal was Cregan, as in the Cregan Stark, as in the one in the Dance of the Dragons who had a very long reign. We're not sure how long, but it was at least... 30 years. Could easily have been 40, 50, maybe even 60. Like, this dude was around a while. So that's what we talked... So I mentioned those names because it says four of them are widows of a bunch of fairly recent former Lord Starks. Those are the Lord Starks. Check out our House Royce episode for a fuller description of the person who is currently Lady Stark. She's Laura Royce. So that presents us with something very compelling. Here's an interesting idea. Not only do we have young Nan present at... Winterfell at this time, as we probably saw in Bran's vision, Dunk kissing her. But we have the potential for something we haven't seen before, which is a character who is Lady of Winterfell or Lady of anything, whose husband is dying slowly. So she knows that she's not going to be Lady very much longer. It's like uh, an hourglass with a very finite number of grains left. But you don't know exactly how many grains. Like, when is this lady going to die? I mean, when is this man going to die? And when he does... Well, what happens next? Because there's no male Starks around. There's a bunch of boys. So you have that. It's a succession crisis. And as I hinted at the beginning, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of potential for similarities between what's going to happen in the main series when Rick and Sansa, Arya, Bran, Jon all converge on Winterfell at potentially around the same time and different factions form around that. I don't know that they're going to fight each other, but people may try to fight each other in their name, things like that. So what does all this what does all this suggest to you? What are you looking forward to with this one, this possibility? Can I start? Yeah, go for it, I'm Shay. looking forward to there being five Lady Starks who all want to hook up with Dunk, but young Nan gets him. In the <laughs> oh, I didn't think of that. That is awesome. <laughs> Nan gets it. Nan no, gets I the, am picturing him kind gold. of like swarmed with women. Yeah. <laughs> they might. I wonder if they care even more about large men in the North when like survival <laughs> is closer to their heart, you know, and, and, <laughs> and, and you <laughs> know, in reality, the they're probably a pretty big age range. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like some of those women are going to be really all oh, the better. Yeah. <laughs> they might, that doesn't mean they're not interested. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm a lady of power. You know, though. I have influence. <laughs> I, I have a couple thoughts. One, we could see maybe a parallel with how they are trying to make the decision of who should take the reins. Yeah, right. To how the council goes deciding egg. We could see similar parallels or, or, or contrasts in the decision-making process. And another interesting parallel or contrast to draw is how Ned Stark leaves Winterfell, mm. going to King's Landing, kind of in over his head with the politicking that's going on. Yeah, Dunk might show up at Winterfell getting thrust to the middle of this politicking that's going on, and he's too naive to realize the implications of... Of course, the reason they're showing up is to fight the Ironborn, but it sounds like my guess, one of my guesses is they're going to show up to help fight the Ironborn, and they're not even going to know who to swear their sword to. Like, well, who is in mm -hmm. charge here? <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, what do you think, Stefan? 
We might, uh, just on the idea of parallels, we might get a parallel to the sand snakes oh. because there we, also ha- uh, there we also have a lot of women from the south mm. and now we have a lot of women from the north. I don't think there is any similarity like the, uh, I don't think the She-Wolves of Winterfell are going to be fighters or something. But uh, there might just be this uh, thematic thing of you have women uh, that are taking positions and carving out places in society for themselves, or at least try to. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if you get something like uh, a more aggressive one, someone who is more in this, not not a poisoner, obviously, but who is having the same MO. Yeah, someone uh, and, could be more religious, you know. Sure, yeah. yeah a variety exactly. of personalities. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good idea. And motivation. Uh, yeah, and, and some of them, just like, just like the sand snakes, can have motivation of revenge. Sure. Yeah, it could be some of them want to, like, well, whoever takes over, we're getting those damn ironborn. You know, maybe yeah. Laura Royce wants yeah. that or something like that. And you, and you also have to think about it is a novella. So we have like, what, 80 pages uh, or thereabouts. Yeah. We have at least five she wolves to be introduced and Nan. So they better have distinct personalities. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Another bit about Laura Royce, real quick. She's. I know I said this before, but it's easy to forget. She is Ned's great-great-grandmother and Ned's great-grandmother. She connect both branches that eventually come around to, to, to Ned because remember, Ned's father married his cousin. So both of those branches originate from her. <laughs> so that's kind of funky. At least it's over several generations. Yeah, I like that idea of your Sean, too, about the, uh, the getting in over his head and, and Stefan's idea of the, the comparison to the sand snakes. A lot of good ideas there, y'all. Um, but I, so I think that that's why we're doing this. Right, right. And <laughs> Nina's suggestion also is that there won't be any actual Ironborn fighting. That's where they're going to show up for that, but they're not going to actually do it. Because as Stefan pointed right. out, yeah. with 80 pages, like how do you possibly yeah, get 100%. into both of these stories? Yeah. <laughs> also, I'm hoping it's 120 pages. Yeah. It's also a lot not that interesting. If they just go off and fight people, that isn't necessarily that interesting. I mean, George, again, once again, he could make it interesting, but I do think the succession and all these characters and personalities sounds more interesting to me than just going and hack and slash, you know, whatever. And it's also kind of set up that this won't work. We see in the Mystery Night, Bloodraven slash, well, well, as we like to call him, Plum Raven says, yeah, fighting him on land is not going to work. You need to get on ships and go to the Iron Islands to stop him. That's the only way this is ever going to be. So, yeah, because if they did fight the Ironborn in this scenario, they'd lose. <laughs> so I don't know, like, how is <laughs> yeah. George going to write that? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think we all seem to agree that there won't actually be any fighting of Dagon Greyjoy in that story. Maybe later. Nina suggests that maybe since uh, we're told that eventually the dragons finally did intervene, obviously not real dragons, the Targaryens finally did intervene to help put down Dagon, the thing that may have changed is the succession. Not the succession, but the crown change. Meaning when Ares dies, now Makar takes over. Makar's a lot more aggressive king. He's gonna, he's under Makar's watch. Can you imagine him just letting that happen? Like, nah, let's go get him. That's, this is the guy that led from the front when the peaks rebelled. So I kind of, kind of doubt he's just gonna let these, like, it probably bothers him that they're still out there. (laughs) Uh, Let's move on. Um, The village hero. So this is our last section today. As we said, it's a... Real quick, I would like to give a shout out to Nina, um, which we always do. But if you want more speculation Mm -hmm. on who these She-Wolves of Winterfell could be, um, I'm sure she'll put a link um, in the document, in the chat right now for a post of hers because she's really put a lot of thought into it. And I think it's interesting stuff, but beyond our purview here. Yeah, it it is a little... Unfortunately, we didn't quite have time for it. It is really good stuff. Maybe we'll have enough time for it some other time. These topics tend to 
send a circle back. But yeah, it is, and not it is really just worth the reading. She-Wolves. She's got thoughts on all the potential for all the books. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's a shame that we don't have time to get into all of it, but we'll, we'll, we'll be able to talk about a little of it at least. So yeah, definitely highly recommend that. Check out goodqueenally.tumblr.com with one L. And so she, her idea here is also going to take front and center. I really, really like Nina's thoughts on what might happen in the Village Hero. The, Be- the Black Beth introduction is kind of a given. Maybe not, but I have a very strong sense of that. Now, let's think back. Aegon IV, well before Egg is born, he carelessly takes the, the land known as the Teats away from House Bracken, gives it to House Blackwood because it's a joke. On, to him, it's just a joke uh, between two of the, his lovers. One of them was well-endowed in the chest and one wasn't. And that became a thing between the Brackens and Blackwoods because they're just that petty. And so he got in on the joke and did this all business. So very strong opportunity for the Bracken-Blackwood conflict to be the front and center of a short story, especially because we know they're connected to the Blackwoods and especially because no dunk is too. Not the Blackwoods, but to this land that lies right between their lands that we see in in A Song of Ice and Fire chapter, Jamie's chapter in A Dance with Dragons is Jonas Bracken, Titos Blackwood at uh, Raven Tree Hall. He talks about Penny Tree with the young Blackwood kid. Dunk doesn't know where Penny Tree is, but Arlen of Penny Tree is his first master. One day he's going to find out where it is. And the, the odds that he wants to go see it are like nearly 100%. Wouldn't you guys agree? Like, doesn't he want to go there? Yes. Absolutely. So yeah. I, I feel like this, that section of Jamie there was partly. I feel like he had to be also working on a dunk thread at that moment. Right, it doesn't... Does yeah, because like, it doesn't feel that related to what might happen in A Song of Ice and Fire later. Like, I really doubt we're going back to Raven Tree Hall. I don't think we'll see Stonehenge, you know? I don't think the Brack and Blackwood conflict is important out, for A Song of Ice and Fire, but it's part of the history, yeah. He's in that same section of the garden, you know what I mean? Yeah, he's watering the tomatoes, but the carrots are right there, too. You know? <laughs> that's a good, good metaphor. It's also been set up in like in the hedge night. We ta- we hear how the Blackwoods will never tolerate the fact that Otho Bracken's about to take over. So it's definitely set up that it's going to be a, a conflict here. Quentin Blackwood was killed in a tournament. So yeah, and the blood. You know, we've got lingering resentment over the Blackfire rebellions because one was on one side. Bittersteel is a black was a Bracken. Blood Ravens a black a Brack Brackwood Blackwood. <laughs> so really, the groundwork is immense here. Uh, Nina's idea is that they go to Penetry for this reason, to visit Dunk's ancestral whatever. It's not really his. He's not from it, but his connection, what, what little family connection he has in this world. And when they arrive, stuff breaks out, you know, where stuff is already broken out. And they find themselves in the center of a conflict, which is somewhat on theme from where they've been before. But it'd be definitely be different than um, the way, say, the water rights is resolved. We also know, we also have a strong idea of how this resolved. By the time Jamie's chapter rolls around, neither the Brackens nor Blackwoods own Penny Tree. It is considered a royal fief. The crown owns it, even though it's all the way over in the Riverlands. What does that say to me? Well, that says to me that they just kept fighting over it. So the crown was like, look, y'all, neither of you get it. <laughs> it's some sort of compromise. Yeah. yeah. Stop fighting over it. You're, if, if you fight over it now, you're fighting the crown. So you know, that's, that's going to put a stop to this. It really, I don't know. It's hard. It fits so well. <laughs> that it's hard for me to entertain other theories. Uh, but, okay, so that's a lot. I've just said a mouthful there. What do you guys think about this? 
details any other totally threads. Agreed. Totally agree, huh? Nice. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I could express it better than Nina did in 14 paragraphs in our notes. <laughs> yeah. I, I assume we're also available for other people to read. Yeah, so. um, she writes about this more. I want to highlight one thing she brought up, which is um, how this scenario will highlight Blood Raven's partisanship. Mm. That he can't yep. think, yep. Uh, you know, neutrally on this matter. Yeah, he might um, not be. Or even if he does, it won't look like he did. Yeah, but, yeah. Because, by the way, this is still, I'm still newly absorbing all this world information that other people might be more experts on. Probably all of our viewers, but in case not, <laughs> because he is a Blackwood. Bracken, right? He is a, a Blackwood. Blackwood. All right, I got to mix yeah. up, but it's that. And Bittersteel's a Bracken. Right. Yeah, Bittersteel's half Bracken, Blood Raven, half Blackwood. So, yeah. But, they, but same father. Yes. So, yes. Right. But anyway, point being that they're potentially at least going to have motivations or biases or whatever. Yeah, even yes. if you don't, you, you who wouldn't think that you do? But And realistically, he does. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've even thought about, because George spent time when, uh, with, with Brienne also talking about this conflict between the Brackens and the Blackwoods. And to me, it's just a part of this bigger world that in some way George is cultivating. And a lot of times I have in the past, and probably many people were thinking about what he's <laughs> cultivating through Game of Thrones, Storm of Swords, and how that's going to work itself into Dream of Spring or whatever. Yeah. But it it just as easily could work backwards. He could be cultivating other future books, even if they're backwards in the timeline. Yeah, you know? that's true. That's very true. Good said. Um, a couple random notes here, more to sort of uh, grease the wheels to get you more interested in some of these things that we didn't talk about. Oh, hey, I'll use it as a little segue for a little minor sales pitch here. If you are sign up as a Patreon at the $4 or $10 or above level, you get access to every script we've ever done, every document we've ever written for an episode. So that includes these. So you get all of our notes, but that also includes Nina's notes since they're in our documents. So hey, you get, you get quite a lot of value for that because some of these things that uh, we put in these documents don't make the episodes because sometimes we just have too much. I would like you to reach out to us if you actually use this feature. I've always been very curious because I think it's great, but I don't know if anyone ever uses it. Yeah, we we don't get to see who's browsing our document. We don't know if y'all are doing it. So yeah, it is interesting. We know some people have mentioned that they want it, but it isn't something that gets discussed a lot. So yeah, we are curious. That's for our own edification. Let us know if you have used that feature before or if you plan on it. Last few notes here. Um, a couple other characters that could appear during the time of Duncan Egg that'd be pretty compelling for us that might, uh, or at least be fun to see, like Walder Frey. We mentioned Princess Elena last time, but Princess Daenerys is a possibility. Obviously not Danny from, <laughs> you know, who was, as Stefan pointed out, like 12 when the, when the books start. We're talking about the Daenerys who married Maron Martell, the one, the Water Gardens Daenerys. She was born in 172, which would make her 50 at the time of the Mystery Night. So entirely possible she's still alive and could still live for quite a while longer. It would be really cool to meet her, to have her on screen, even if it's just for a minute. There could, she could come to court or they could go back to Dorne. That'd be fun, huh? Yeah. Another one's John Aaron. John Aaron would have been 15 or so when the fourth Blackfire Rebellion happened. So he could have been involved somehow. Uh, obviously, Barristan Selmy, we mentioned him. There's plenty of places for him to pop up. Uh, he's at court. He becomes, you know, he's in these duels or jousts or whatever and may have been in the rat, the hawk and the pig rebellion, all Olena. that stuff. Yeah, Olena Tyrell, you're right. Or yeah, she'd be 
Red wine, then Tyrell. Yeah. <laughs> you, should, you could have both. <laughs> you could have that transition even. That's who I most want to see. And, uh, and last but not least, there's another really compelling note by uh, Nina. What will Daella Targaryen think of the rebellion between the Laughing Storm and the Crown? Because Daella would have already had an affair with Dunk by then. So now her father is going to war against the crown and her father is fighting Duncan single combat who her, her father fighting someone she had an affair with. That's pretty compelling. Um, it might be hard to in, get that into the story without her POV, but I, I feel like if he's George is going to write that, that would be one of the more compelling parts of it. I would, You're right. He should include another POV. I agree. <laughs> I would like to um, clarify this again, just if anyone wonders. We do not know that it is Dela that don't cooks up That's with. true. It's not 100%. It could be Ray. Yeah. It makes more sense for it to be Dale for a couple of reasons in terms of age, whatever, and alliteration. Um, George likes that. Um, but ju- just FYI, we don't know if it's Ray or Dale. The conflict would be the same, of yeah. course, with Ray. Either daughter. I just want to make you know. it clear mm-hmm. that yeah. we are assuming this. Good point. Good point. Okay. Um, do we have any final thoughts? Stefan, any final takes? Um, certainly tell everyone where to find you again while you're at it. And thanks for coming today. What a, You had a lot of excellent thoughts and I'm glad we could circle back and make this work after our miss the first time. Thank you for all the compliments. I fear I fired all my cylinders. I do not have any brilliant takes uh, <laughs> in, the, in this end. But if you are uh, giving me more time and more podcasts, you can always hop over to our program. It's the Boiled Leather Audio Hour. You can find it everywhere you can find podcasts. And of course, at Patreon, patreon.com slash boiled leather audio hour. We have lots of bonus stuff as this goes, bonus podcasts, bonus essays, yada, yada, yada. Just go over there, check it out. I would love to hear from you. Right on. Thanks again, Stefan. And Sean, any final thoughts from you? From earlier, just thinking about what Martin's thinking about. He's made a few comments about his favorite movies. And uh, so one, I thought it might be interesting to think about what his favorite movies might be some hints to the things that he might want to put in his stories. And some of them are like almost obviously like Lady Hawk is a story about two lovers who one during a day turns into a hawk and one during a night turns into a wolf. But there's like this hour in the middle where they get to be human with each other. But anyway, it's kind of like the warging, you know, that some of the characters do in his world. You kind of see the hints of that there. And he's also named Pan's Labyrinth, which is sort of this fantasy horror kind of thing. Martin hints at horror sometimes. He also said The Iron Giant, which is animated. And it's about a little boy with this big iron robot companion, kind of like Duncan Egg. And I wonder if there's some, if that's maybe uh, some hope that it might be an animated series, if that's something he likes anyway. He's got really good taste. Obviously, Lord of the Rings, Princess Bride, Holy Grail. Anyway, just uh, I'm sure there's probably more to unpack by looking at Martin's other favorite books. And it's uh, all this. My one final thought on this, though, is that he didn't list any Westerns, even though we kind of saw this Western theme in a lot of his writing. And so it makes me wonder what else we might see, even though he hasn't alluded to it elsewhere. Anyway, we'll have to ask George what his favorite Westerns are next time we. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Adding on to what you just said there, Sean, too. um, George, referring to the Iron Giant, just backing up how much a fan of the Iron Giant George is. I went to his bookstore in Santa Fe. One of his assistants was showing me around it. And one of the cool features of that bookstore, for one thing, is it's like almost everything in that store is signed. Not just by him, but it's like a full bookstore where like 90% of the books in the store are signed by the author. And a lot of them are him, of course, but a lot of them aren't. So, of course, you walk in the store. It's really nicely organized. And there's a 
huge iron giant just sitting right in the middle of it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, cool. it's just right there in the middle, like prominently displayed. And I think it's like one of the ones from one of the movies, like an actual prop or something. I forget there's a story behind it, but I'm, it's slipping my mind. So thought y'all would enjoy that little anecdote. Oh, and both of and and the two people working behind the counter were Roger Zelazny's children. <laughs> it's like, whoa, this is like another world here. <laughs> so uh, anyway, thanks again, everyone. Um, we mentioned our House Royce episode. That's additional uh, listening related to the She-Wolves of Winterfell and that, that stark ancestry that's super compelling and interesting. Uh, of course, check out the Boiled Leather Audio Hour in the Nerdstream era. Check out Dancing Sean on YouTube, his movie shorts, doing very well over there, getting that started. Follow me on Twitter. Yeah, follow Sean on Twitter. Do you have a cat for us today, Sean? I could easily go get at least one cat. All right, let's let's do that. Let's have a let's have our outro kitten, as we like to call them, while I issue additional thanks. Thanks to everyone. Thanks for to Ashea for doing so much behind the scenes here and adding her voice at the same time. Once again, thanks to Nina for so many great takes, notes, and intro, uh, and um, observations. Thanks to our mods at our Facebook group, History of Westeros Facebook group is bumping lots of great discussions i expect it to pick up even more now that we have a trailer and stuff like that going on uh, the hype is hype levels are rising a bit thanks to house of the dragon but there's always consistent discussions happening over there we've also got our communities over at uh, discord and you can always reach out to us on twitter or email etc thanks to michael clarfeld that's claradox.de is his website for our video intro and for the wonderful maps you see behind us um <laughs> Michael was recently sharing with me uh, him dressing up kind of like Mrs. Doubtfire for uh, his school. <laughs> great, great photos. Hi, Michael. <laughs> Thanks also to Kevin McLeod for the Valeritas interest, uh, intro music, rather. Thanks to Joey Townsend and Jesse Koval for the regular Valar, or regular History of Westeros intro outro music. Thanks to the Benjineer for the sound quality assistance and engineering, as the name indicates. And check out our friends over at Here Be Dragons. They've just, or they'll be getting started shortly after this live stream. If you're hearing the podcast version, you can check them out on YouTube at your leisure. Their topic today is how to bring your A game to the D and D table. Sean just brought his A game of kittens. Oh, he has uh, Jet here today, the black kitten. Very nice. Oh, Jet is like the most behaved out of all of them. I feel like. She is definitely the most okay with being held. Yeah. She's, <laughs> nice. she's not camera shy. <laughs> excellent, yeah. excellent. She's cute. Uh, and I'd say overall, Toph is probably the least trouble of the three. <laughs> <laughs> but she also is the least willing to... Yeah. Not that she doesn't want to ever be held, but she's the least likely to stay in my arms. <laughs> oh, they're looking big. <laughs> yeah. Well... Cat says the cat waving goodbye is our sign to the rest of us to say goodbye. <laughs> our schedule will be, uh, we'll be continuing to put out episodes over the next few months. Of course, they won't be every Sunday. As I said, it won't be Valoraritas style for a little while, but we will be getting back to Valoraritas in 2022 right away. January 2nd, 2022, Valoraritas returns with the World of Ice and Fire. In the meantime, take a look out for many scripted episodes and a couple other live streams on um different topics that you will see when we announce them. 
Until then, thanks again to our guests. Thanks again to everyone who came live. And thanks to everyone who's left us a review on your favorite podcatcher or on YouTube, wherever you consume History of Westeros. And until next time, you know what to do. Valar re-roots. <laughs>